This is Unfilter, episode 241 for June 21st, 2017. He's not afraid of the investigation. There is no investigation. I want to be clear here. Spanning Sunday morning TV screens, one of the president's personal lawyers going on offense. But there is not an investigation of the president of the United States, period. But contradicting the president's own social media admission made Friday. I am being investigated for firing the FBI director. Notably, the president did not repeat that today in a trio of tweets where he denounced the distraction of the witch hunt. The president's apparent admission dismissed by his lawyer as just a response to news stories. But the discrepancy set off sparks. You don't know that he isn't uh, uh, under investigation now, do you? Well, no one's notified us that he is, so I, I can't read people's mind. Let me be clear. This is the last episode of Unfilter. Oh, wait. I haven't been told that it isn't the last episode. Okay, got it. Anyway, welcome to the show, everybody. Great week. Lots of great tweets to go over. Of course, we're going to talk <laughs> about the cyber and much more. <laughs> it's Chris. We got tweets, Chase. <laughs> there's Chris. Hey, Chris. Chase, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm actually proud to say I don't believe there's a single tweet linked in this week's show notes. I'm not positive about that. I don't believe you. Because, <laughs> you know, in one story... Like the opening clip, there's tweets in there. You can't help yourself. You know yeah, what? It's you just, you, it's like a fire hose. You know, it is a witch hunt. <laughs> We're going to get into that hunt, but I feel like there's so many things to go through this week that I want to give people just like a, a little bit of a heads up of what's coming down. You the mean room. like a tease? Like a little, little, yeah. So there's, um, I think actually the biggest story this week isn't uh, in any investigation or uh, investigation or uh, tweeta. You know what I'm saying? Where are you going? Where are you? Oh, okay. You're throwing me off by walking around the studio right now. I'm like, hey, hey this is what I do now. Whoa. I'm going to start taking off my shirt here yeah. in a minute, and I'm just going to let it go. Anyways, I don't think there's – I mean, so we definitely have some updates. Uh, Jeff Johnson was uh, was um, was uh, questioned as part of the Russia investigation. We have a couple of follow-up things. Uh, there's obviously some things that have been discussed about Trump's tweets. I also want to discuss Alex Jones and Megyn Kelly. What are they up to? But uh, I think the biggest story this week is really going to be what we're going to talk about when it comes to Syria. The, the um, Things are different this week than they were last week. And uh, we, the U.S., has uh, shot down a Syrian fighter jet for the first time since this whole thing started. And uh, it's sort of changing the entire situation. So we're going to talk about that as well. But – we do like to start with a little cyber just to warm us up, get us a little excited. And there's two stories in the cyber category that um, I want to track. The first is the one that's probably the most applicable to our U.S. audience. The second is the story that we're tracking now in cyber, which is uh, the U.K. prime minister's um, apparent rampage against the Internet. But we'll get to that. Let's start with uh, – Chase Nunes is good buddy. My friend. WikiLeaks has released damaging new information that a CIA project called Cherry Blossom has been hacking into home Wi-Fi routers since 2007. That's not all. The CIA reportedly used that hack as a listening device. And for more on this developing story, we're joined by... Who? Who? What? Who do you think? So if you're, if you're going to go to an expert on uh, the NSA, CIA, uh, leaks, cyber war... 
hacking, spying on citizens, constitutional rights. Who do you go to, Chase? Chase, who do you go to? Who's your go-to? Constitutional rights and, you know, that cyber hacking, cyber. CIA leaks. Mm. I would I would go to, you know, professional, maybe some sort of security agency. I would maybe call you. Hmm, interesting. You know, I, I, I would Can get, I float an idea by you? Yeah, feel free. Uh, Cybersecurity expert and CEO of MGT Capital, <laughs> John McAfee. Welcome. What do you think of John McAfee? What do you think? Would well, you go? First, first, John needs to, you know, Clear those nose. There's a little bit of white powder there. But other than that, he's rebranding. He's, oh, he's rebranding, rebranding as a serious uh, cyber consultant, and uh, he's, he's got the name for it. He's he's got a he's got a kind of got a good take. John, thank you very much. And so first, I want to go back to Alexei's report. I mean, we just heard about a massive information being uh, put out there, roughly ter- twenty five terabytes worth of information being accessed without a password. Um, I mean, this news reporter has no idea what she's talking about. I mean, just to be clear, this information was not stolen by hackers. Um, it was actually there and without a password. And I mean, she, she's really butchering this thing. So she's trying to talk about cherry blossom, which is something that Chase and I were discussing offline. It's a compromise of many different manufacturers, firmwares where they could completely own a router. Google. What concern? Oh, and here's his take. This is actually, I, I thought her rambling was kind of bad, but he says this is Google's fault. What? Do you what? Th- yeah, yeah. Tell me what you think of his take here. I mean, I know it's John McAfee, so yeah. we're not going to take it too seriously. But, I mean, his take seriously is that it's Google. Uh, hacking happens all the time. The thing that concerns me is not so much the fact that, that the information was available. Uh, all of this information you can buy from Google. What concerns me is how did they get this information? My phone number, my address, my age, my marital status, my preferences, whether or not I believe in Obamacare, what do I feel about immigration, what do I feel about our national policy. Every single political attitude is in that database for virtually every adult in America. Now, shouldn't, shouldn't we be asking the question, how did this data company even acquire that information? That's what concerns me. Because once you get the, the the information into a database, it will be hacked. It will be let loose. This is just so now they're a talking, fact of life these days. Oh, so, boy. so McAfee's talking about uh, – so in response to her question about the uh, malware, he's talking about the hack that happened to the GOP. Do you understand? What, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. two different conversations happening here. So what's your take on, on him saying, well, look, you have – Worth of information being accessed without a password – um, I mean, just to be clear, this information was not stolen by hackers. Now, the, I guess there's two questions in here. That's kind of why the that's kind of why the response is kind of complicated. Nice. So many of us having passwords. I want to get to his. Now, take get the let's get the very first part of his take here. Well, uh, hacking happens all the time. <clears throat> the thing that concerns me is not so much the fact that that the information was available. Uh, all of this information you can buy from Google. So he'll come back on this point, but I, we don't really because it's a six minute clip. It's kind of hard to jump around. Uh, this is his premise, though. So Google does this. Facebook does this. That's the GOP was just doing what everybody else does. So you have this leak about the uh, CIA malware. You have this leak of the GOP database that apparently has a bunch of registration and voter information and preferences, and it's like terabytes of information. And John McAfee's point is is that when you have privatized companies, he rambles on about this, but when you have privatized companies that are collecting this information, that's just standard practice for them. Uh, it's just going to lead to all of these other organizations building up their own data structures, oh, yeah. building up their own, yeah. their own data silos. Yeah. So... Is there really a correlation here, or is this a straw man argument? I think it's a little bit more straw man. I mean, right now there's information like like, like he was saying. You know, there's databases full of stuff and everywhere. You know, everybody knows about 
everything that we do, even if we try to not do it encrypted, whatever, it's already there. Eh, you know, I think it's a non-thing at this point, right? I mean, what are you going to do unless you live in the EU and try to get Google to, you know, rip you off the rolls, so to speak? I, I mean, like what do you do? What you need is like, uh, uh, like a. There needs to be some sort of privacy, consumer privacy law that says that that you you have to you have to agree. Like there has to be some sort of system in place where you say I agree for this information to be collected and that information to be collected, or I opt out in some way. I- well, a lot of those companies have that available already. It's just a lot of people. First off, you know you get like twelve pages of terms of service when you sign up for any service, right? And you, everybody just skims through it, clicks accept, and moves on. But see, for like police political campaigns, like in the case of this GOP database, for them it's like a it's like a core part of how they strategize. So yeah. they they to them they'd say it's a vital thing. And, and what what pisses me off about it is there's there's no it feels like there's no minimum unless there is, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no minimum standard of security or protection that is required for any company and any organization if they're going to collect personal hmm. information. Is that where it starts though? Is that where is that how you have to do it is you have to like so you have to regulate the companies and their IT security because that as having having been involved in It's not necessarily regulation, it's just a minimum standard. Well, it's it's see, I mean But then how do you enforce that minimum standard? Because when I was involved in banking and you had to follow what the FDIC wanted you to do, it basically meant they'd come in and make sure that you were following all these industry best practices practices and that you'd implemented all these best practices, which seems like a good idea. But the problem was the industry wrote those best practices. But isn't that how like HIPAA works, for example, when it comes to health, health information and your personal health care file where to a degree, yeah, yeah, where, you know, you go to uh, ever clinic or Skagit Health or wherever. That's a similar situation. And it's bad there, too. Right. But the thing is, though, they they have to have a minimum standard because if they don't, and that uh, the data is leaked out there, then they can be sued. Right. And and you know, it could, but the problem is, is that idea is predicated on the concept that the people setting the minimum standard know what the fuck they're talking about. True, and they don't see. So what they yeah. do is they bring in industry experts. Well, so what happened is is that industry experts just they want to sell the next version of their product. So right. what the what the best baseline is is to make sure you've you've installed X and I. To me, it feels like a way to do government-forced upgrades and government-forced software sales. It's – I don't see that happening in the – I'm not seeing that in the healthcare world per se. I'm seeing a lot of companies doing it on their own and trying to come up with you know, stronger standards of protecting data. I don't see why that practice couldn't hmm. be used in other areas. Um, yeah, if it was hmm. – I mean the good news about this whole ordeal is at least now Russia has all this information. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I th- I'm going to give her one more shot. I think she gets it here. A lot okay. of people don't want that information public, especially their political stances. Uh, I mean – No, she was trying – I wanted to get back to the – because there's. I don't have a lot of audio on the CIA. ...out there again. On the CIA router thing. ...that are being used as listening devices. So here we go. were you personally shocked at these findings? I'm going to back up just a little bit because there's not – there's I and, and I would – if you have any clips, uh, stop by your unfiltered chat room and share them with me because I have not found any clips on this whole CIA router breach thing that you and I have been chatting about offline. Ten different manufacturers can be turned into listening posts that the CIA can monitor. I mean, this sounds similar to, you know, those other devices, like some televisions that are being used as listening devices. So were you personally shocked at these findings? Well, no. I mean, myself and every other security professional have known about this and have been warning about this. It's not just the CIA. All of these routers, and that's virtually every router that's in use in, in the American home, uh, are accessible to hackers, to the CIA, uh, that they can take over the control of the router. 
they can monitor all of the traffic, and worse, they can download malware into any device that is connected to that router. So I personally never connect to any Wi-Fi system. I use the LTE on my phone. Well, okay, all right, yeah, that's because that's so secure. Anyway, so <laughs> this is – there's more. We'll have it linked in the show notes, and I think the TechSnap program might have gone into it, but Chase and I found it to be a fascinating story. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I mean that's a lot of information. Yeah. A lot. Do you, do you know a little bit of trivia for you, uh, Mr. Chase? Do, are you ready for this? Hey, it's now time to Ask the Chiram. This is where you can uh, answer a question, and we might send you something, but probably not. No. All right. <laughs> I'm just going to give it to you right now because we got to move on. I don't yeah. want to spend too much time All on right, this. Fair enough. The answer and the question is you, the router that was not affected, the popular router that was not affected. WRT, by... WRT54G that running uh... – <laughs> No. <laughs> Sorry. Well, yeah, right? Anything yeah, you've yeah. replaced the firmware on, correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's the Apple Airport. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Probably because it wasn't worth the trouble. <laughs> Anyways, uh, if you get fired up about this kind of stuff, please, please go update your router and consider – you know, maybe doing like a PFSense deployment or something like that. Yeah, I'm running uh, OpenWRT yeah. on my Linksys, yep. and then I have a second Linksys that I have uh, DDWRT on that one too, and I'm using that yeah. as a repeater. Just keep them yeah. updated. You know, that's the thing, and make sure it's a project that's still alive and getting patches, yeah. and uh, I encourage you to uh, look into other projects. Now, here's really the cyber story of the week that we need to continue to follow. There, I don't I don't follow this one um, because, uh, because I want to sit here and uh, bash on uh, – on, on Theresa May, it's just uh, I just this whole attack against the internet thing feels like uh, oh my something gosh. from the dark ages. British Prime Minister Theresa May visited the French President Emmanuel Macron on Tuesday. One of her primary goals was to garner support for new online security measures. We're launching a joint UK-French campaign oh. to ensure that the internet cannot be used as a safe space for terrorists and criminals. Yeah. So I I, uh, I looked a little bit further into this, and I realized, and see, of course, I'm looking at this from a, as a total outsider here, but uh, I didn't realize that this was actually one of the core platform things that uh, she ran on. Ah. And so that's sort of what I I I. I Sort of what I what I gather doing a little bit more reading into this is that this has sort of just been part of the party platform. If look here on the program, it does say that the UK ultimately aims to become a global leader in the regulation and the use of personal data and of the Internet. This will involve developing special tools for identifying and controlling potential harmful material and placing more responsibility on service providers. Now, Theresa May could have a tough job pushing through her cybersecurity reforms given that she lost her party's parliamentary majority warp, warp. in the UK general election. <laughs> and, then, and guess whose fault that is? Her fault. <laughs> that's, her fault. That's really the best part of it, really. I think that's probably my favorite thing, Chase. That's probably my favorite. You know what we're going to do? A snap election. We're, I feel stronger than ever. It's like if Trump had that ability, do you think that he would do it? <laughs> no. No, yeah, no, no, no. I, I would encourage uh, our listeners to uh, send us in their feedback on yeah. uh, the situation over there because we are not as close to it. But from afar, it looks like uh, some some sort of like regressive count. I can't I can't put my head around it. Like, why would you why would you want to? And it's going to happen here in the States, too. So it's like I'm already getting preemptively upset. Why would you want to make 
your citizens less safe. Like it, it, you, you, they, you can't have privacy without security. And if you compromise security for the sake of monitoring, you compromise security for all Chris, of us. Chris, it's okay as long as the government has the keys. Yeah. Yeah, but time and time again, like we have multiple examples now in history, some that are very recent, some that go back to the 90s, that show us that every time we have tried to build in some sort of clever backdoor, it fails. So this I, – I, and I think I have this linked to the show notes, but this uh, recent um, CIA malware that infects the routers, there now is a history of every single major router manufacturer accidentally – leaving a blatant backdoor in their firmware. And I remember covering these on TechSnap. I remember the first time we covered one and it was it was something amazing. Just a really basic like you could you could log in and just get all access to the machine and you, it was super super easy to do if you just knew what combination to follow. I thought, wow, that's that's really crazy and and we speculated like why would that have happened? Why would that have happened? Oh, well right. probably for development reasons for debugging. They wanted a quick way to get into the system and debug. Sure, okay, yeah, so we'll write that one off. Then the next story came in. And then a few months later another story just like this came in and now and now we have a list i think it was ars technica that just said these are all of the router manufacturers now that have had really easy to exploit backdoors that essentially government agencies like the cia were able to completely exploit and that's what's happened here and so when you have Theresa may trying to advocate for reducing uh security i'm sorry i'm sorry by building in backdoors then you are only promoting and setting up this exact situation to repeat itself over and over again this exact situation that just happened with the cia is evidence of why we don't want to do that for like imagine imagine our messaging systems if we built in backdoors to all of them and then somebody got that key they would have access to everyone's communication communication it the 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 results would be devastating yeah because it would be a massive scale it would be it would be a, it would be everyone it would the, the the impact is huge so the risk is enormous the risk is huge because the level of access that compromise would grant somebody so it's you know it's it's a it's a technical thing and i think it might just be on Teresa may's purvey right now that's my nice way of putting it let's move on to the situation in syria where there was breaking news when the u.s decided it was time to shoot down a Syrian warplane in their own airspace. And this Fox News alert, a U.S. Navy F-18 has shot down a Syrian fighter jet over Raqqa after the Syrian jet dropped bombs on U.S.-backed fighters in the region. The U.S. military saying it acted in collective self-defense of those partner forces. This comes less than two weeks after an American fighter jet shot down a drone in southern Syria after it also fired on U.S.-backed forces. Yeah, you can imagine that uh, there's uh, some some consternation about this, and uh, there's some people that are a little upset about this. We start with breaking news from Syria, where one of the country's fighter jets has been shot down by U.S.-led forces. So this is the Russia take. The Syrian government says the plane was conducting a counter-terrorist raid. And that's what you need to know right there. So the the Syrians see it as they were conducting counter-terrorist operations, and the U.S. shot them down. And the U.S. sees it as our guys were on the ground and you started bombing near us, so we shot the warplane down. And, of course, Russia's pissed because their guys are on the ground. Their guys are helping these guys stay in the air. All right, Russia issuing a threat to the U.S. military, saying it will now treat American aircraft as targets if they are found operating west of the river in Syria. 
So that's kind of a big deal. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, we are really into basically getting close to a new uh, crisis. This is a this is big because um, there's a lot at play here. What we are seeing is a very fast moving situation. I want to back up a little bit. So uh, before after the last show, the Senate started working on new sanctions for Russia that the executive office would have new control over. Shortly after that, the U.S. shot down a, an Iranian drone that was in Syrian airspace because it was harassing some U.S. guys on the ground and U.S. backed guys that were on the ground. So we shot down a drone, which is a pretty aggressive move, and it was making big headlines. I'll cover it more in overtime, but we got to move quick here. Then what happened happened pretty quickly after that is the U.S. made a very aggressive decision. It's not, and I want to paint a picture for you. It's not like we just had fighter jets that were patrolling the area and somebody got within a certain range and we had to take them down. It was a very explicit decision. It was a process that happened. A Syria bomber flew out, dropped bombs. The U.S. first said it was they dropped bombs on U.S. personnel. They later amended that, so make sure you're staying current here. They later amended that to say, well, they dropped bombs near where our backed guys were. They didn't drop them on our guys, but they dropped it near. Fighter jets, I believe it was like an F-18, were then, set, were then took off from an aircraft carrier after a bunch of discussion was, was held, intercepted that plane after it already was flying back, and shot it down. So it's not like we were just flying around in the area. And trying to protect our assets. This is a very intentional decision to go out there. And this is a massive escalation in the entire situation, and especially now between the U.S. and Russia. This here, I want to go to get us probably the most unbiased reporting we can get. We're going to go out of the U.S., and we're going to go over to France, and this is France 24, and they're going to give us their report. Not that, they're not, not that they don't have some bias, it's they don't have the U.S. bias. They have a good perspective on this, and they're going to, be, going to give us a good overview on this. Where does this, all this um, escalation come from, and why is it happening right now? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is, it's being deemed a serious escalation, because it's, it's, it's definitely it's thought to be the first time since the whole Syrian civil war erupted in 2011 that you've had a, a U.S. coalition uh, fighter plane downing a Syrian uh, regime plane uh, over Syria. So so a big deal here. But it is, as you said, part of an escalation we've been seeing. It's the latest, and if you want to say, is really a string of incidents in which U.S. coalition uh, forces have targeted both Syrian regime forces and their allies uh, in Syria and their proxies. Uh, we've seen uh, the U.S. targeting uh, basically uh, Iraqi and Lebanese uh, pro-Syrian regime Shiite militia recently. We also saw uh, the U.S. shooting down what they thought was an Iranian drone that had gotten a little too close <clears throat> to its own uh, militia fighters. We're going to come back to Iran here in just a moment. Fighters, it's Syrian militia fighters uh, while they were training in southeastern Syria. So it's all part of a pattern here, this being the most uh, serious. And let me just say, even though it's an unrelated incident, Iran as well fired surface-to-surface missiles on Sunday. So when we were shooting down so, – so get the, get a picture, get a load of this. You got, you got folks on the ground from Iraq. You have Russia backing Assad. You have the U.S. in there shooting down a Syrian plane over Syrian airspace launched by the Syrian government. And then you have this other player who's been kind of getting involved from day one, but now is really stepping things up, Iran. And Iran is launching missiles into Syria. They're sending in drones. There's a lot to the Iran story here. Uh, From Western Iran, cross Iraq 
into eastern Syria, into this same region. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of these tensions building because, as we know, this whole region has been extremely complex with this mosaic of countries. Why You've had Turkey, you've had Iran, you've had uh, Iraq, you've had Syria, you've had Russia, you've had the Israel, you've had U.S. The Israel. You've the had Israel the, and the Iraq. Isn't some model did that? that you've had Iraq. Russia, you've had the Israel, you've had U.S., all with competing and vying and differing agendas. What's happening right now is the propped-up bogeyman of ISIS. Sorry, ISIL. I think you mean IS. Or Daesh. They are collapsing. The, 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 the tensions between Qatar and Saudi Arabia and the new administration, it's all it's, – it's all falling apart. When's the last time we've seen a great beheading video? You know, I mean, I feel real bad for Rita. Rita's still trying to post stuff to make it look real scary, but she's having to dig deep these days. This whole situation is changing right in front of our eyes. And what's happening now is the players in the area are staking their territory. And some players want more territory and have more interest than other players. And then there's bigger powers in the region like Russia that are only going to go so far. All in this very little patch of land, but it's happening at a crucial time. Eastern Syria, why is it strategically important? Well, it's that last sort of bit of territory that the Islamic State group, a lot of its desert, that's true, still controls. And you could see it really on that map there. It's an oil-rich region, so it's obviously resource-rich, uh, so a lot of people want to be able to have control of those resources. But more importantly, perhaps, or as importantly, you see Iraq, you don't see right east of Iraq, Iran there. Um, there are areas in that whole eastern region which could be seen as supply routes for ground forces, or Iranian uh, militia, through Iraq through Syria and into Lebanon to support its own proxy forces. So an extremely strategic area, a last patch, a last battleground. So as ISIS begins to collapse, Iran is moving in at an extremely aggressive pace. As ISIS vacates a city, Iran is moving in and they're going fast because they feel like this is their opportunity to really grab some power here. And Let's be real. Russia's not going to really go that far in opposing Iran. It's not like they're going to want to get that right. involved with that. So there's a certain so that certain sort of governor that's been in that region all of a sudden isn't really going to be there governing governing uh, Iran's uh, expansion. And so I I don't know what the I don't know what the answer is here because that doesn't seem like a good thing. But uh, there are those on the, in the uh, obviously in the military industrial complex that say that. Well, this might be a massive escalation between Russia and the U.S. And Syria is now the proxy wars of all proxy wars that we have ever seen. There are so many interests in there that it makes proxy wars during the Cold War look like child's play compared to what we're doing now. And so that's why there's some in the, in the military industrial complex and their tentacles that uh, represent on uh, media that believe that this was no option. Right. No option. We had to shoot down this fighter jet. Russia putting the U.S. on alert. The U.S. shot down the fighter jet after the Syrian government bombed U.S.-backed forces. Russia, a key backer of the Assad regime in Syria, says it's going to be keeping tabs on our drones and fighter jets starting today. This could get sticky. Michael Walsh from the Green Bay Commander. Sticky. You could get sticky. This and Michael, good morning to you. Signed Start up. with the incident from the weekend. What <laughs> yeah. forced our hand to shoot down a Syrian jet? What forced our hand? What forced our hand to lift off from that uh, boat, go out there, fly over Syria's territory in their airspace and shoot them down? What forced our hand to do that? Well, Bill, we really didn't have a choice but to take this uh, Syrian jet down. 
No choice. No choice. We have special operators, special forces accompanying uh, our for uh, the local forces on the ground. You know, CIA people. Whether they're Kurds, Arabs. Uh, you know, people we pay a lot of money. Other forces that are ta- currently taking down contractors, the ISIS capital of Raqqa. At the same time, you have Iranian-backed militias, oh. uh, Hezbollah yeah. and other pro-Assad regime militias pushing hard to take down the areas that ISIS is withdrawing from. And as they're pushing into the uh, areas where we have forces, they send in jets. The Syrian regime also sent in jets to bomb them. Well, I just got to I got to stop here. Just I mean, I. I guess it. I guess it depends on if, if you if you believe in international law and you believe in borders, then you have to stop at a certain moment and you have to disconnect yourself from the words being used, the news speak, and you have to just look at the. I mean, I I I, I just have to look at the facts here. Right. Syria is a sovereign country. Assad is the elected leader of that sovereign country, and the military follows the directions of the sovereign country's elected leader. Russia was invited into Syria. The U.S. was never asked to come into Syria. The U.S. is getting involved with special operators, as this man puts it, on the ground at no one's request but our own. Assad didn't ask us to do that. We're not helping the Assad, quote-unquote, regime which have you noticed how we call people regimes when we don't like them anymore? Right. Yeah. When 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 we like them, like with Gaddafi, then they're great, and then all of a sudden it's the regime. So I, I I I kind of follow what he's saying in some sense, but I I don't see what the mandatory we had to do this was. Nobody said we had to violate their sovereign territory. Nobody said we had to shoot down their own fighter jets in their own airspace. And what? Who were they bombing? Who was the Syrian government? Who was the Syri- uh, sorry? Who was the regime, quote unquote, bombing? Who were they bombing, Chase? Who were they bombing? They were bombing terrorists backed by the CIA. There are terrorists that are trying to overthrow the Assad government that are being backed by the CIA, and they're trying to stop them. If the U.S. didn't have CIA operatives on the ground in Syria, they wouldn't be getting bombed by the government that's trying to hold its power in its sovereign country. This isn't a political issue. This isn't a right or left issue. This isn't a Republican or Democrat issue. This isn't a Trump or Obama issue. It's kind of a Hillary issue, but that's a separate story. (laughs) This is really simple. It's really simple. We have military interests in here. It's a sovereign country, so we call the government a regime. We back the rebels. We still are backing the rebels, despite all of the deaths, despite all of the efforts to stop the fighting, despite all of the peace treaties, despite all of John Kerry's efforts, despite all of Rex's efforts. We're still backing the rebels. We're still attacking. We're still pushing forward. We still feel like we got this thing. And then... We step it up a notch even further and we shoot one of their own planes out of the sky in their own airspace. Russia shuts down their line of communication with us over this, their military coordination communication, and now says U.S. airplanes are targets by the Russian Air Force. Like, this is, this is not a good situation we find ourselves in. I want to know who made that call and thought this was a good idea. What is the price of bringing democracy to Syria? Yeah. Actually, what is the goal? 
I wonder if anybody in the chat room could articulate what the goal is in Syria. Oil, money. No, I mean like the, the stated like uh, the the reason we're there. I believe the stated reason we're there is to back the rebels to overthrow the Assad regime, who was a brutal dictator. Um, and then it actually, literally, I don't think goes any further than that. There's no there's no discussion of what would be better in Assad's right. place. There's no discussion of what should happen with Syria. There's I actually don't really understand why it's worth poking the bear. Like just on its face. And I think this is why Donald Trump scared the shit out of the CIA, because Donald Trump asked the same question during the election. I don't understand why we're not just working with Russia and let them knock the hell out of ISIS. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, guess what? The CIA didn't like that very much because (laughs) ISIS is their guys. We don't want to let Russia knock the hell out of ISIS. That's us. And see, Hillary Clinton understood that nuance. And that's why she was the establishment's candidate, because she understood that ISIS equaled CIA and CIA equaled long-term U.S. agenda, and long-term U.S. agenda equals successful president. Ding. Donald Trump didn't understand that. He just saw a bunch of bad guys, a bunch of evildoers over there, and he saw a a willing, brutal president, or whatever Putin is, willing to bomb the shit out of them. And he thought, that seems like a great idea to me, because it is a great idea. We shouldn't be over there. We shouldn't be getting involved in any of this. We shouldn't be spending this money. We shouldn't be costing these lives. And now we're shooting down their own airplanes. So that's the situation in Syria. Good times. But uh, That's a mess. Instead of talking about that, you noticed how heavily I have, I've had to rely on RT for both the CIA uh, leak and this stuff in Syria, because they're all too busy talking about Russia. Mm-hmm. Every, every, uh, every media outlet here in the U.S. is just all Russia all the time. Russia tweets. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. and generally the tweets are about Russia investigation. That's right. yeah. uh, so there was a continued questioning. There weren't like the blockbuster James Comey type questionings, but uh, a good friend of Chase's. My buddy. D- Ex-DHS chief, um, Jeff Johnson, stopped by to do his testimony to the uh investigation. Yeah, it, was good to, it was good to see him and uh, the uh questioning got kind of interesting we'll get into one of them but uh he did make a clear statement that vladimir putin himself orchestrated attacks in 2016 the russian government at the direction of vladimir putin himself okay orchestrated cyber attacks on our nation for the purpose of influencing our election that is a fact plain and simple Now the key question for the president and the Congress is, what are we going to do to protect the American people and their democracy from this kind of thing in the future? I'm pleased that this committee has undertaken this investigation. I welcome it. My sincere hope is that in bipartisan fashion, you find answers. Last year's very troubling experience highlights cyber vulnerabilities his troubling experience last year, by the way, was that uh, the states pushed every inch right, yeah. on, <laughs> on his trying to take over cybersecurity and classify all election systems and as critical it. infrastructure. Right. right. Uh, that really got him butthurt. But Gowdy started asking him about a question that's still close to my heart. Now, a bunch of good questions. In fact, Gowdy was softballing the entire time. So if you're some big Trey Gowdy fan, he didn't really do his job here. He softballed the entire thing. But he came back later with a question that I think is worth noting because this entire Russia investigation – if we remember, really starts at the core of it with collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia hacks. And if Putin orchestrated Russian hacks to infiltrate the DNC, fish 
John Podesta, get access to his emails, take those emails, look at all of them, coordinate with the Trump campaign asset to target the releases via WikiLeaks, get Julian Assange on board to do timed releases, and then disseminate particular emails amongst the world at certain times. This is the core of the investigation, and at the heart of it is the phishing of John Podesta and the compromise of the DNC, the breach into the DNC's servers, the core piece of evidence at the heart of all of it. So it's pretty important that we have a clear understanding of what's gone down with that server. And so Trey Gowdy asks, just to be clear, if in the DHS's assessment of all of this, if they ever had access to the DNC server. Uh, Director Johnson, I don't want to beat a dead horse, um, but I do think it's important. The last time you and I talked, I I wasn't 100% sure, uh, but I've since had it confirmed. The DNC never turned the server over to law enforcement. Um, So twice now you have said that uh, you could have camped out in front of the DNC, and I would say in defense of you, it wouldn't have made any difference if you had, uh, because they weren't going to give you the server. So If you're investigating either from a law enforcement or from an intelligence standpoint, the hacking by a foreign hostile government, wouldn't you want the server? Wouldn't that help you, number one, identify who who the attacker was? And if memory serves me, this was early in the summer of 2016 when we learned of the DNC hack. So if they had turned the server over to either you or Director Comey, Maybe we would have known more, and maybe there would have been more for you to report. Uh, so I guess what I'm asking you is, why would the victim of a crime not turn over a server to the intelligence community or to law enforcement? I, I'm not going to argue with you, sir. Uh, that was a leading question, and I'll agree to be led. Yeah, that's as good as he gets. He's such a, he's such a dumpster fire politician. I really <laughs> well. Yeah, he, he's out of a job now, so he's just, you know, he's just chilling. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah, it's... Uh, it but, is. It is, but it is... Uh, Trey Gowdy uh, brings up a great point. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great point. If if you're a victim of a crime, Chris, and, you know, someone tried to infiltrate JB and make some headway, you would turn over that information, right? All and you would, of course, wipe the porn off. But other than that... Happily. I'd leave yeah. the porn on there. Yeah. Encourage <laughs> them. Give them a little bony. <laughs> Not, I meant bonus. Bonus, uh, yeah. Yes. So let's keep going on. Let's keep going down this line because this is this to me is is really one of the most interesting political stories of our time, and I think it's getting followed all around the world. And uh, Trump says this whole thing is a witch hunt. That's you know he's all fired. President up about Trump it. is keeping words. up his attacks on the Justice Department's investigation into Russia's alleged meddling in the U.S. presidential election. On Friday, Mr. Trump took aim at Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, who is supervising the investigation. And and questioned his integrity. Errol Barnett is in our Washington newsroom with the latest. Errol, good morning. Good morning. President Trump tried to cap what the White House calls Workforce Development Week with a show of productivity. But the cloud the president feels is hanging over his administration shows no signs of clearing. So they mock him for saying that this investigation is a cloud, right? So they mock him. And then when he's trying to have a week about jobs, the only thing this news anchor wants to talk about is the Russia investigation, literally proving don't watch this again from that mindset. Well, he's he's he, he's tying it all together because of his tweets. And I think if right. Trump didn't tweet about it, they wouldn't be talking about it. 
But he's tweeting because they're talking about it. Chicken before the egg, right? I don't know, man. It's weird. Egg before the chicken. Good morning. President Trump morning. tried to cap what the White House calls Workforce Development Week. So that's what, you know, that's what the White House, if you're in the White House, the message you're putting out this week is workforce development, jobs, jobs, business enthusiasm, jobs. That's the message that you want the media talking about. Like, And this is the same for the Obama administration and the Bush. Like, right. this is how yeah. it works. Yeah. They all did this. But- what happens instead is the media talks about the Russia investigation. That's very frustrating because you want you want people talking about your successes in a political office constantly because you're tr- you're always planning for the next election. The more political wins you have, the more political clout you have, the more political power you have. So this is a very important thing politically. It's not just it's not just ego, although ego. That's why politicians often are also egomaniacs and narcissists because the two go so hand in well, so so hand in hand. Your image is so closely connected to your political power because if you have a bad image they'll make fun of you they'll ridicule you you don't have a lot of political influence so you want everybody out there talking about your jobs because you're making america great again and you want people seeing that because you feel like and rightfully not or whatever you feel like you're making a lot of progress here and this is what people should be talking about but they keep talking about that goddamn russia investigation instead it's a cloud that won't go away and it's and it's bared out right here in this clip with a show of productivity, but the cloud the president feels is hanging over his administration shows no signs First of clearing. Off, did you hear the words? The president feels. So it, it's not him saying it. He's just repeating what the president has said. He doesn't have to say it at all. I know, but he's just repeating what the president said. So, like, one of the things we often do, in fact, the number one thing we do in the show is not talk about stories. Like, if it's not a relevant story, we're like, we just don't even right. we don't then, mention then, it. Then, then Trump shouldn't mention it either. I, I do feel like this is a chicken and the egg thing. Because I know, yeah. I feel like he's all butthurt about it because they won't stop talking about it. Not they're not talking about it because he's talking about it. He's responding to their talking about it. It's not like the, he's not the originator of this. He doesn't want them talking about it at all. No, no. But it but it does go back and forth. It's it's one of those things where yeah, it's a cycle. For yeah, sure. it's a cycle. Yeah, yeah you got to break the cycle. Get a restraining it's an order. <laughs> and by venting his frustrations online, Mr. Trump may be making political and legal headwinds worse. So this is, uh, of course, a, a reoccurring theme now with the Trump administration is that he's making things worse by tweeting. Strengthening the policy of the United States toward Cuba. You this, is, this has been a week of clips where phones have been ringing. It happened on The View and I didn't, it didn't go in the show. I don't, I don't care who the president is. That's disrespectful. It's been, it is. It's very disrespectful. It's been weird. I, a I lot of clips that I've been reviewing this week have had phones ringing in them. It's a weird... It's a weird... If you're going to have a ringtone, change it from default. On this Father's Day, the Trumps returning from their first visit to Camp David. And back to the heat. The political fever over the Russia investigation. You see, again, you see what I'm saying? Like, it immediately goes to this. It is... Yeah, but Trump's attorney... Yes. Doesn't have to go on NBC. Well, he uh, okay. first off, Trump right. shouldn't even have an attorney, right? Really? really? Well, really? wait a minute. Isn't Valerie Jarrett an attorney? Well, she was. Yeah, that's true. And also, by the way, Uma Abedin also an attorney. Yeah, but were they going on uh, the news circles? Were they going on Fox? Were no, they, they were secret. We don't talk about them. exactly. Yeah. He's not afraid of the investigation. There is no investigation. I want to be clear here. I want to be clear. Scanning Sunday morning TV screens. One of the president's personal lawyers going on offense. But there is not an investigation of the president of the United States. Period. 
but contradicting the president's own social media admission made Friday. I am being investigated for firing the <laughs> FBI director. Notably, the president did not. Re- Do you buy that that was him just replying to media reports he was watching on TV? I, I you know, this is what I think. I mean, looking at the there's no time stance on this one. Yeah, I noticed. Like, it's funny when they, they include it, they off. don't. Well, you know, I mean, sometimes they do, sometimes they so, don't. So, yeah, it's weird. 50,000 retweets or whatever. But, you know, he's up at like 3, 4 in the morning watching, you know, Fox Fox and Friends, you know, and they probably ran a story. He's like, son of a... And he fires That's off something. I, and it's, it's, it's amazing that, I guess, in some ways, it's, it's maybe the best thing I've ever seen in my life because what it tells me is that at some level... Nobody can shut the president up. <laughs> like, I always imagined that when the president of the United States got in the office, they went into this smoke-filled room, and they the CIA walks down, and they put up a projector reel to reel up, and they hit, they hit play. And you're going to watch this film. <laughs> and what comes up is this film, and it's, this, it's a video camera that was down in the gutter, and it's a different angle of the JFK assassination, and they say, if you don't do what we say, we're gonna, this is going to be you. <laughs> And also, here's the UFO files. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and here's the 9-11 file. No. <laughs> yeah, and, and by the way, Mr. President, there are 10% aliens living on our planet right, right yeah. now. But, yeah. And Will Smith really is a, a man in black. Yeah. But, the, uh, but uh, this shows you, to some degree, that the despite the power of the entire apparatus, they can't stop an old man from watching TV and freaking out on Twitter from what he sees. Like, I mean, that literally might be what we're seeing happen here. Oh. What worries me about it, and I know there's a lot of things that worry me about our current administration, both previous president and current president, is that he he has at his disposal, okay, the most – I mean, he has better than the internet, in my opinion. I mean, he, he really has like some inside information. Like you said, you know, he probably knows about the UFOs and Area 51 and everything like that. He has a – access to all that stuff but instead he completely relies like a majority of his stuff on news in a bubble and what else does that tell you i think it tells you that the president is extremely isolated from what the hell is actually going on beneath him and you know as an american i want my president to be well informed on both sides and 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 try as uh as bush would say a uniter not a divider being investigated for firing the fbi director Notably, the president did not repeat that today in a trio of tweets where he denounced the distraction of the witch hunt. The witch hunt. He, which would actually characterize – he would generally just continue to dog an issue once he feels like he has a point. But you know what? If, he, if he's if he got t- – he, here's I, – I watched you know I, I watched stuff from all sides, and I, and I watched your, your favorite uh, show, The Resistance, uh, by Keith Overman. And one of the things that he talked about in, in his uh, daily diatribe is his tweet about tapes. If there is no tapes, why do you lie about it? If there is tapes, wouldn't that exonerate Trump, right? I mean, either way, when you look at it from a logical standpoint, he doesn't have to say all this stuff, witch hunt, and they're coming after me. Yeah, Dude, if you got tapes to prove your innocence, boom. And then, yeah. But here's the problem with that. The problem with that is if he shows tapes to show his innocence, then he's recording people. He's got tapes. Yeah. So That's the it, problem. It, it, he's, he's stuck. That is totally he the is problem. stuck. Which is incredible that he's able to tweet. Like, it's incredible that they can't take this away from him. Because, uh, I mean, it really shows you there is some power in the executive office. Right. And, and I think their mode of thinking, probably on this, is, you know what? 
If he's going to tweet and he's going to take himself down, he's going to take himself down. <laughs> I guess. I mean, what, wow. what, I mean, what are you going to do if you— What a defeatist attitude to have, though. That's like the Clinton campaign's motto, we can't have nice things. But, you know, they, they've they tried to uh, dial Trump down from, from doing this. You know, I think they had a social media guy handle his Twitter yeah, feed yeah. for a while. <laughs> it just didn't work. Well, I tell you what— uh, because he says some, because because here's what I could imagine is happening. I these things like an investigation into the president of the United States of effing America, <laughs> yeah. that probably doesn't just happen like that. It's probably something where dominoes are set up and placed and placed, and then you announce and investigate. Like it's a thing that probably takes time. And by building this apparatus that's going to investigate the president of the United effing States of America. You probably, in doing so, alert sources that it's coming. And so the media gets a little hint. I bet people in the White House get a little hint. And so in his world, he might actually know something's coming. And the media knows something's coming, but nothing's on the record yet. And that's, and that's, and and I think, and this is where this is purely just, you know, hypothetical. Got a little like, it's like ham. I I, I don't know if it's conspiracy ish. Just say it's some ham. It's some ham. Is. The reason why he pushes out these tweets, calling it a witch hunt, calling it a thing, is to get the, the those serious people that are on his side, you know, the, the ones that believe in that deep state, to believe that there's something else hidden, there is a conspiracy to oust him, that when it does eventually happen because he's gotten caught. Like, he got yeah, caught. Okay. I, I, I'm just, that's I'm, cool, because it's like this. he's the core messenger. Right. Like, I'm, I'm, let me just play it out to conclusion is, you know, he's, put, he's laying down the groundwork. Uh, maybe he gets impeached. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe something serious happens, and then he can uh, sit back and maybe right before he resigns or whatever, he can go see see what happens, you guys, when the fake news and the f- and then what will happen is we'll be worse off as a country because of that. Sort of like how the uh, Clinton campaign was laying the groundwork for the Russia, the Russia, the Russians, right before the before they lost the election. I, either side doing this, it's, it's not beneficial in the long run. Well, so. Uh, um, it that just, is it just tears us up even more. That's a that's a definite possible take because Donald Trump himself has said that his Twitter feed is the best spokesperson for him, and it's a great way for him to it's reach, official statements. It's a great way for him to bypass the mainstream media and get the message out there. And I would give Donald Trump credit to say that he is savvy enough to know how to message to his base yes, and market correctly. Absolutely. So that's that's a good take. I want to. I'll give you my. I have a counter take. I love to hear the counter. I will share it with you uh, here in just a moment. Let's finish up the tweet stuff, and then we'll go to a trio of tweets where he denounced the distraction of the witch hunt. The president's apparent admission dismissed by his lawyer as just a response to news stories. But the discrepancy set off sparks. So here's kind of where I I do agree with the witch hunt statement. All right. Um, and I don't necessarily think it's just about messaging. And to me, it comes across as a desperate plea for somebody who's desperate to not have his presidency wind up in total chaos because he really wants this to be good for his brand. And I am, I really believe this man is a massive narcissist. And so for him, the best way for Donald Trump to be the best president ever is to have a really big, great, successful presidency. And so this is robbing him of that. Is in his This is his worldview. This is yeah. – I am projecting here, but I, I feel like that's maybe the source of these, tr- of these tweets. And when he says witch hunt, in that context, I actually agree. Because it is a witch hunt. Because we are now eight months into this investigation, and there has been zero evidence of collusion between anyone in the top levels of like between Pence or Trump or or Bannon or any of their, or or Priebus. There has been no evidence of collusion at all, and 
what has happened universally across the Democrats is we have shifted. If you've noticed, and it's I, I, it's subtle, but it is fundamentally important to this discussion. We are not talking about collusion anymore. In fact, when I said that word, did it feel a little old? Because we're not talking about collusion anymore. Now we're talking about obstruction. There was evidence of collusion. What kind of evidence have you seen? What can you tell us? Oh, this, this is, is your best friend, Adam Schiff. This is my really close friend. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He's your on iMessage. I really like yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll FaceTime. You guys, you guys FaceTime yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there is evidence. Uh, I can't go into the particulars uh, of our closed investigation. Now watch as he he says, I can't. I think there's well, evidence. Off, I think there is. Yeah, I think yeah. there is evidence. But now watch how closely he's going to move from the evidence of collusion to a new topic. But I also think there's evidence of obstruction. But in both cases, I would say uh, whether there is some evidence doesn't mean that there is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So he says, but let's talk about the collusion. Let's talk about the collusion. This was just a couple of days ago. But we've gone now completely from let's talk about obstruction to, well, there's not much there. But I think in the investigation of obstruction, there was collusion. And now it's collusion all the time. The president is dealing with this very profoundly important issue. So this is uh, a, a montage sequence of where the dialogue started a couple of weeks ago to where it is today. Obstruction of justice, potential collusion with the Russians. In <laughs> From collusion FBI to obstruction. FBI is conducting a criminal investigation into potential collusion between Donald Trump's campaign and the Russian government. Possible collusion or coordination with Trump officials. We're finding out more and more about the possible collusion. It looks a lot like there was collusion. Not just to investigate Trump-Russia collusion. Uh, there's probable cause to believe that there was cooperation. What kind of collusion, if any, there was? Serious allegations that have been made that there was collusion, evidence of collusion. A in collusion with the Russians. Collusion, uh, that's what is being investigated. Uh, you think is on its face obstruction of justice by the President of the United this States. This is now. Yes. Obstruction of justice. Any possible obstruction case. Whether it's obstruction or justice, we now have the obstruction of justice concerns. Uh, I think he has laid out the core elements of a an obstruction of justice charge. When it comes to something like obstruction, there's a serious legal standard. That is obstruction of justice. Fits the behavior of obstruction. Look at the law with respect to obstruction of justice. But the behavior is obstruction. In order to get to the bottom of the obstruction charge, that points towards obstruction of justice. Those are the elements uh, of an obstruction of justice. This question of obstruction of justice. It is obstruction of justice. I have a question. But you get my, you get my yeah, point. I know, but you I can... have a question. Yeah, yeah. Full disclosure. <laughs> who put that clip together? Uh, producer Matt, I believe. Okay. So he edited that or did he find that clip as it was? Uh, you'd have to ask him. The only reason why I ask is always look at the source. Now, I looked at this, the, the, the piece they're put together. I noticed that um, this is just a ballpark. About 80% of the clips were from Democrat people speaking. Yeah, well, because that's who's talking well, about but, but it. But it's all, it all comes down to who put the clip together. What well, are their motives, too? You wouldn't, you're not going to find anybody on the right that's talking about collusion. Or... That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is... Well, there's no, but there's no, there's no one to clip. Well, no, no, no. We don't know that for sure, okay? Because I did see Fox in there. I saw Fox there in there right, briefly. Yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is, who put the clip together? I want to know who put the clip together. 
because I because you know talking about biases, if someone's trying to paint a picture saying, "Oh yeah, so look, do you look think how the, it, the, the the people are turning against okay, Trump? Follow, is it no, Democrats I, or totally. is it media? It's like the same know? thing. Like, did RT put this out or did yeah. Fox put it? Yeah, no, I follow that. Yeah. But how does that take away from what those people said? It doesn't. But it but when you accumulate it like that, it can paint a different message. And the, the other I, yeah yeah and the sure, other sure, and the other thing sure. to to note is well, we we're actually trying to illustrate a point that these people all said one thing and now they're all saying yeah, another thing. Did they did they flip after Trump? W- when did the pivot happen? Was it before the firing? Was it after the firing? You know, when what was the timeline of that? Saying then and now doesn't put it in perspective. Well, either. okay, so let's back up. So hold on. Because uh, I actually don't. So I, I mean, I, I think your point is sort of separate from the fact that the message has changed from. So I think what the core point here is the message has changed from, from like they've colluded with Russia to now they're obstructing the investigation. Right, but you, but you can also put it, put them separately on their own merits because but I know, but that has happened. Right, I know. I'm not disagreeing with that. What I'm, what I'm trying to say though, is. I bet you that there are clips of Republicans, some Republicans saying the same things. Yeah, like like maybe like a McCain or something. Right, a McCain, you know, all anybody with an R. Just pick somebody right, but, with an R. But so, but that shift. So okay, because is, wanna, is, is, make, is this about the message or is this about Democrats? Well, I want to make two message? points because because that's kind of you're kind of you're sort of off in the weeds because where I want to go with this is there has been a shift from collusion to obstruction. Now I think you can go you can take two. There's two paths here. Is there a case, even if there was no fire, like say there actually was no collusion, there was no collusion, like there's no case there, but the prevention or the attempt of a prevention into the investigation, even if the investigation, if the thing they're investigating is bogus, but a trying to block that investigation, right. regardless of the legitimacy of the of investigation, the thing, right. yeah. Yeah. still seems like it's an illegal act. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, no, I agree with that. So, what, so what I guess where so the, the the point that the clip's trying to illustrate is we've gone from collusion to obstruction. But it, so now going back to my core point, now we're looking at the Trump filter when he's tweeting. This is a bogus investigation that they were looking into, and they found nothing. So now they're going with obstruction because they couldn't find anything. Now, do we really know that they found nothing, or nothing has been no, leaked I, to I, the media? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not yeah. making a position. I'm telling you yeah. what I what no. I suspect Trump is doing is when he's bitching about this stuff on Twitter. In his mind, the investigation's bogus. Now, because they couldn't find anything, they're going after See, obstruction, I, and, and that's where we disagree. I think because he, I don't believe for. I, I have a like I said my my overall ham theory is he knows damn well what's going on right and he's and he's throwing off misdirection. Well, I think he knows damn well that he did ask James Comey to let to see to let this thing go, and I think he knows that he did fire James Comey at a completely politically risky time. Oh yeah, and he knew it was going to look bad. Right. So obviously, uh, the only person to blame for the investigation into collusion. Is Donald Trump there? So it's I mean, it's kind of a sh- I mean, too bad for Donald Trump that James Comey kept good notes. I mean, it's kind of a bummer. I mean, there's there's a couple things Donald Trump could do right now. I mean, if, if he sincerely believes that everything is on the straight and narrow, I mean, and, and above 140 characters is, you know, first you have the power. You have, you literally have the power of the media. If you're saying I'm going to I want to speak to the American people at six o'clock tonight. Guess what? He he will be live wall right. to wall. But. I'm just saying he could come out with a speech. He could go and say, all right, go ahead. But he's using Twitter. Right. 
which but that's what he thinks is the way it works. I mean, you know, what but I'm but he's using Twitter to charge his base to rile things going to keep things just in a weird way. I think that's a cynical. I mean, you're right because that's what it does. But I I think that's I, if he wanted to I put think this it's a cynical to, take on I it. I, I think, think it's him yeah. trying to say. I'm being – when he uses words like witch hunt, what he's saying is they couldn't get me with collusion, so now they're coming after me with obstruction. Right. That's what he's saying. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to argue the validity of that position. Right. But I, I, I do think that is something that has happened. I do think we have now made the shift from collusion to obstruction. And now what Mueller is really going to be looking into is obstruction, which is kind of – I mean think about it. This is representing – I guess the, the key thing to take from this is this is representing an expansion of the Russia investigation. So what began as an investigation into what did Russia do to impact our election? Like what, at what lengths did Russia go to impact our from, – from hacking the state databases, from potentially colluding with uh, Trump campaign people right. to what degree – did Russia influence our election? That was the original Russia investigation. Then after James Comey was fired, which looked like an obstruction of justice on its face, a special counsel was brought in, Robert, Robert Mueller. Right. So now Robert Mueller was in to sort of sort all of these questions out. But now his, his area of investigation is expanding potentially directly into Donald Trump. So are you following me? Yeah. So, so he starts... So the investigation – okay, I don't think you are following me. No, so I'm... the investigation starts with looking into what, how the Russians got involved with the election. Now it's expanding into an investigation into Donald Trump and Mueller's investigation is expanding into obstruction of justice. This is – so it's going from one thing to – now they're looking into three different distinct issues. The, so This is a massive problem for the Trump campaign. Oh, no doubt. You have – you, because uh, I think there is collusion. Or, I mean, collusion. I think there is obstruction. I think the collusion stuff was crap. But in trying to shut down the the collusion investigation, he did obstruct justice. So does that come down to uh, a personal security issue where you, you're not secure with your job and what you do and who you yeah. are? <laughs> I mean, I think so he couldn't just let this thing run its course. Maybe he had reason to believe it was. I, mean, I fail the. F- I, I I don't see like a, an advisor would say, "Hey, you know, President Trump, you know, it's one of his trusted, his son, his daughter, and someone would go, hey, look, look, Dad, this is going to blow over. They don't have anything. Don't talk about it. Just let it go." Yeah, I I don't. I this is this is it. This is like because he can't stop tweeting and nobody can stop him. Right. He has fueled some of this stuff, and then but you can also see like I bet I I I do believe he probably asked for a pledge of allegiance, quote unquote, from the NSA director and from DNI, just like he did from Comey. I'm sure he did that. Why, if he did it one time, and why it, wouldn't he do it with all right, of and them? Then, and then you see how Sessions was during the his yeah, uh, his inter- just no, no, no communications between the president. And I will be discussed none. Can't, or he couldn't. Recall. I, I'm protecting. His privilege, you know, it's that he like, might invoke in the right, future. Yeah, it's which also is signaling that they knew he might have an investigation coming. If you think about it, look right. back at the look nah, at back at some of the recent tweets, yeah. and that that might signal something too. Right. Yeah. See, I think that's what it is. I think I think they are full on panicking that this thing is going out of control and that it is tilted in a direction that is not going to win for them. Right. And that's why Trump is always out there tweeting about this to keep his base lively and say this I, this yeah. is, this is an attack from the left. This is attack from the mainstream media. This is all fake. This is something that they invented. But at the end of the day, this is something he kind of well, so stirred you're, up. See, right. But when you say that, you're also building the case for why he has to keep tweeting. Well, but he here's there's other things he can like do. Like he can't other, stop now. But there's things other he he can do other than tweet. 
like I was just saying in the chat, like he's got since he's got Twitter, he's got Periscope, right? He could just go live, start a stream, and talk directly to the base without any edits from from mainstream media or anything. I wonder if he could request to to talk to, talk to one of the committees in public. I mean, hell, Obama did uh, didn't he do uh, Facebook Live or Periscope oh, or whatever? No, I mean, couldn't he I go mean, down? Couldn't he go down to the Senate committee and he could just sit there and testify? Absolutely, he could. There's nothing stopping him. There's nothing stopping him from giving a deposition right now under oath uh, recorded with his attorneys and all that. So, OK, now 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 that we've discussed all of that, yeah. let's go back to let's go back to the uh, so remove like semantics and law and go back to the core issue here where uh, this this Russia collusion story could be pretty much smoke. Like there's probably some, Russia probably was involved in something. Right. Uh, I'm sure. I mean, like I, I was watching the uh, the testimonies with Je there. Ah, uh, Je, yes. And uh, it, so, you know, two things come up constantly in these testimonies. And I, I, I almost mentioned to to you every single time, uh, Section 702 reauthorization. Yep, and we, we picked those It's come up, up in every, every single, single hearing. Every single one. Yeah. And the other thing that yeah. that they talk about like it's, it's no shit, like no shit, like, yeah, obviously, is that Russia's always, always tried to fuck with our elections. Like, Historically, they do this, and it is nothing new. So uh, I would bet you that there's a pretty good chance that this year their quote-unquote cyber played a role in it too because they've always tried to influence the election. So there's, there's probably something at the core of this. But collusion, that seems like a Democratic Party line to explain why they demonstrably lost the election and Hillary Clinton was defeated. And the Democrats were defeated in the lower levels of government. It seems like it's a great talking point to run up until 2018 that paints people associated with Trump as suspicious characters that are not trustworthy, that moves the talking points away from health care. It moves it away from climate change. It moves it away from international relationships and sanctions and policies with Cuba and it keeps the con- and and it moves it away from the from the Democrats' failure to connect with the middle class because they're really more in the middle these days. Right. And it keeps the conversation on Russia. So it's this great, great thing to keep going, this narrative to keep discussing because it allows them to keep talking about that instead of talking about things that actually matter. And if they can pump this thing until 2018, they think I think they feel like they've got a shot. So. If you kind of even sort of accept that might be a possible premise, then you have to ask if this entire real investigation started as sort of a Clinton campaign line and this cover story to explain why the Democrats were beaten so badly, that they amped it up using the political climate around cyber warfare and fear around Russia and Putin's image. They amped it up, blamed it on the Russians to cover ba- to cover the fact that Donna Brazil colluded from CNN to give Hillary Clinton campaigns a hint of what some of the questions were, to cover up the fact that Debbie and her team worked to bury and smear Bernie Sanders, uh-huh. to cover up the fact that John Podesta was a total creep, and that the and that and you know also by the way to really actually take the conversation in a direction that 
we, we don't mention that really, honestly, most of these emails came from Judicial Watch through lawsuits and file requests. That's right. Not really from WikiLeaks. Like the ones that really damaged their campaign didn't really come from WikiLeaks. Like, but we've changed the con- – we don't talk about Judicial Watch, who has been around forever. We talk about Russia. Right. So we've moved the conversation completely. And it's a bullshit hype story that then led to a series of investigations because of bullshit dossiers that were passed around by John McCain that have been called by James Comey complete bullshit, total false in his testimony. But those were the source materials that in every little leak to The Washington Post, which often had to be corrected, that was citing anonymous sources from within the intelligence agencies, which is the very fodder to this day that is used to ask questions during these investigations during these hearings, all of this is a bunch of crap that was used to start this investigation that is a bullshit investigation that is a huge waste of taxpayers' dollars. We should just be looking into how to improve security and set standards for elections and disconnect these things from the Internet. It's really fucking straightforward. But instead, we're doing this massive investigation. And really, Canada and Mexico also were colluding with our with our election. Like there is a there. It's not just a Russia problem. There is a broader problem here that we need to address. I bet Germany did it. And so did France. Like everybody who has a stake was probably paying for a marketing or a lobbyist or something because at the end of the day these people have money to make so this investigation in trump's world and i agree was kind of bullshit to begin with and then when you try to shut this son of a bitch down because it's a stupid political scheme in the first place now they're going to lynch you for that there is you got to admit some validity to it even if it was illegal and he shouldn't have done it and i'm not trying to excuse it i'm just saying like it's a real son of a bitch of a situation. They trapped him like like they let a badger. They let a wild badger into their fancy mansion and they couldn't figure out how to catch it. So they had to create a trap for it to go hang itself like they created the perfect political trap for Donald Trump because they created an investigation and the kind of person he is. He had to shut this thing down. It couldn't keep his mouth closed. And when he tried when when he took the bait and tried to shut it down, they got him. And now how far they go with it is probably being debated in some dark hall somewhere. The deep, uh, the, the, the deep state? <laughs> yeah, the secret deep state. The deep state. Uh, that Alex Jones is always telling us about. All I can do is give you my word and tell you, I, if there's one thing about me, I do what I say I'm going to do. And I- so, wow, did Alex Jones... Wow. I, I don't double cross, so... You know, you just became very fascinating to me. I just sort of thought you were this maybe... You know, one-dimensional guy, like this is your thing. My goal is for your listeners and the left, you know, who will be watching some on NBC to say, wow, that was really interesting. And then the next time I want to get somebody, they're going to say, look what you did to Alex Jones. It's not going to be some gotcha hit piece. I promise you that. Now, this is, uh, I mean, like, when I heard that Megyn Kelly was interviewing Alex Jones, I thought it was a joke. Because, like, why would he Why would he do that? Um and then the son of a gun recorded the whole damn thing from get go. The phone calls, her there in the office. Yeah, he must be in a state that's only one party recording. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, I cheese. And then he makes a thirty-minute special out of it, where he airs most all of it, and where uh, he comes across looking decent. I mean, it's such a production. It's such an Alex Jones production. Ugh. BC was the only one. This is weird. They actually got it right that I got joint custody, and that actually was calling us wanting to state. Oh, let's take a second here. So this is. As a father uh, in a joint custody situation, 
man. Uh, so one of the things Megan does, and I don't know if I have the, let me see here, if we go right here. And, and you'll say whatever you want to say, but it's not going to be some gotcha hit piece. I promise you that. I. It doesn't serve me, it doesn't do me any, any good. If I do that to you, then you go out there and you say, she did a hit piece on me. This is what she said, and this is what she did. And then the next time I want to get somebody, they're going to say, look what you did to Alex Jones. You know, screw you. So I'm. I promise you, that's not what this will be. It, it, it'll be. It really will be about who is this guy, and we'll we'll talk about some of the controversy, and I'll ask you, and you can respond, and and we'll get into the whole. You know what you've been through this past year, and I, my goal is for your listeners and the left, you know, who will be watching some on NBC, to say, wow. That was really interesting. I, I, all I can do is give you my word and tell you. So she uses, and it's in here somewhere, but I God, if I can't stand to listen to it anymore. Um, <laughs> she uses the fact that uh, he's a father in this custody battle to like get into his head and uh, say, you know, that really humanized you for me. And once I saw that, I realized you're just like anybody else. And I want to I tell that story because you're a dad. Um, now he asked, well, when's this going to be released? It's all in the accordions and the supporter sync if you want to watch it. He says, when's it? Oh, sometime in July. Do you know when the uh, interview came out? Uh, this past Sunday. Which was? Uh, June uh, 18th. Father's Day. Oh. Womp. Yeah. I mean, I'm no fan. I mean, we mock Alex Jones all the time, obviously. Yeah. But, uh, I like mustaches. Yeah. Uh, it was, it, it was yeah. a hit piece, but it wasn't. Here's why it really bothers me. It wasn't a hit piece on Alex Jones. Alex Jones was the medium in which they used to paint the hit piece. And in doing so, they promote Alex Jones as a necessary cost of the bigger target. And that's really what has me upset. First tonight, our report on the incendiary radio host, Alex Jones. For years, Jones has been spreading conspiracy theories, claiming, for instance, that elements of the U.S. government allowed the 9-11 attacks to happen and that the horrific Sandy Hook massacre was a hoax. Some thought we shouldn't broadcast this interview because his baseless allegations aren't just offensive, they're dangerous. But here's the thing. I'm a psychopath. <laughs> I have a larger agenda. Alex Jones isn't going away. No, because we keep promoting him to you. Thanks, starting with Pierce. Thanks, everybody. Over the years, his YouTube channel has racked up 1.3 billion views. And I'm super jealous. He has millions of listeners and the ear of our current president. He says. We begin our report with his reaction to the recent terrorist attack in Manchester, England. Did you catch the larger fish in this? What they're really going for here? Trump? You got it. She slips it in there. That he has the ear of, of the, the president. president. Yeah. And then they use a famously cut clip of Donald Trump. Presidential candidate Donald Trump. I just want to finish by saying your reputation's amazing. In December 2015, Mr. Trump appeared on Jones's radio program. So they took a clip of Trump saying your reputation is amazing. And then they take a, Trump, a clip of Trump saying goodbye to Alex Jones listeners, not Alex Jones. Offering praise and promises. I will not let you down. You will be very, very uh, impressed, I hope. And I think we'll be speaking a lot. Separately, both men had supported the false statement that Barack Obama was not a natural-born citizen. So they end up making the piece actually about Trump and not about Alex Jones, but Alex Jones is the vehicle that they use. Is the conduit. Yeah. 
And so this is Megan playing nice with NBC's execs, I think. In fact, they just – they come back to a few other things. Uh, they really push uh, the dad thing. And you got – what's really kind of too bad about this entire thing is they push the dad thing a lot on Father's Day. Sandy Hook Elementary School, one of the darkest chapters in American history, was a hoax. I lost my son. I buried my son. I held my son with a bullet hole through his head. You know, on Father's Day, dude. It's like it's designed to invoke a strong emotional response. Oh, totally. And then they go after him uh, for it. Now, uh, Alex Jones has set himself up for it, so, you know, fair game. And he let her in, so have at it. Good time. Uh, but it seems like the the greater expense of uh, going after Trump. But then you put out a bunch of misinformation. I'm just trying to figure out what the vetting process is. I mean, we is. all get Hillary was 15 points ahead, okay? And, and, and I mean, we all, we all get mainstream media has got a big problem. The InfoWars staffers we met have free reign to cover whatever they like with virtually no oversight. <laughs> we spoke with some of Jones's employees, including Owen Schroyer. How do you, on a day-to-day basis, figure out what you're going to do? I wake up. Is he wearing I look a at Hillary news. shirt, by the way? Yeah, he is. He is. I don't know what it says. I thought it was Hillary. Wait. Yeah, Hillary for prison. He's wearing a Hillary. Uh, okay. God, like he's like that's not going to trigger them, right? Triggered hashtag. I wake up. I look at the news. I uh, pray. I rarely get directives from Alex or my boss. Uh, they pretty much just leave it up to me. Is that what you consider yourself to be, a journalist? You know, I, I don't like calling it that. I just, I'm just a human. I'm just a human that's looking for truth. So I'm just a podcaster. I'm trying to reach out and be what the people want. Oh, man. When you say people. He means his patrons. What do you mean? The deplorables. The flyover country. The forgotten American. Now, that's a great quote right there. And then, of course, you got to wrap this whole 20-minute piece on this. Did he just call the people in middle America deplorables? That's what- that's that is a that is a lingo that they it's like how uh, black people can call themselves the n-word okay so yeah. so he considers himself a deplorable right like it's like a they're they like uh you know how have you noticed how like some of the uh social justice warriors have taken the i'm a nasty woman thing yeah, yeah. from trump because she's a, she's yeah, a nasty remember, woman yeah, yeah. yeah so they've adopted we're the deplorables oh, okay. isn't that adorable and wonderful so good so great. So you end Megyn Kelly's uh, Sunday magazine piece on Father's Day uh, with this, of course. We're going to get to work immediately for the American people. With the election of Donald Trump, Alex Jones has plans to expand InfoWars. More studios, more shows, more employees, more influence. I said the night he won, I said the war has just begun. So this is a, we just got a beachhead. And so that's just the start of the war for me. And Alex Jones goes into battle with a powerful ally. Just two weeks ago, the Trump-Pence campaign emailed this message to supporters. Notice at the bottom, it's a link to InfoWars. Hey, NBC News fans, thanks for checking out. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Come down, Chris. Come down, Chris. You're peaking. You're peaking, buddy. Oh, God. Oh, God. Not InfoWars. No, boy, what dumbass in the White House did that, huh? Jeez Louise. Uh, anyways, yeah. So, th- see, my point, my bigger point that I'm trying to make here is, uh, I mean, you, I, I, I over dramatize the just the bullshit way they interweave Trump in there. Like they've gotten to just do like masterfully now, but they really promote Alex Jones and position him and give him more credibility and power 
than he deserves by doing this. It's, as you said before, a very complicated situation. I mean, he's a bit of a sideshow. <laughs> so he's one of yeah. the reasons he has so many listeners and viewers on YouTube is because it's a, there's a bit of an entertainment factor there. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, but they pretend like it's all because people are brainwashed by his message. Right. And, I mean, and, there, and there are some people out there on both extremes, on, on far, far, far left and far, far right, where, you know, people believe that aliens have landed and, you know, we're being controlled by puppet masters. Sure, yeah. Know? I mean, there's, there are yeah. people that probably subscribe to every single word that comes out of the man's mouth. Right, yeah. Like uh, but he, there's, yeah. there's probably also people like Keith Olbermann that are watching to hate watch, you know, in some degree. Like, right. they're watching because it's such a show. And, then, and that's why, you know, when I, when I pay attention to both what Alex says and a Keith Olbermann, uh, what they say is... I try to separate out the fluff and stick to the facts and stick to the the, the real life scenarios, and that's when I why I brought up the, you know the whole thing about the tapes thing is like it was a it was a good logic ar- argument that I had in my head about it. Like, all right, what if you're Trump and you tweet that out about the tapes thing? You know what do you do? And so I I think that's the magic of what we do here on this show is you know we pull the clips from RT, it, it, you know, Alex Jones, the all, situation, yeah, all that really, stuff, yeah, yeah. and then uh, NBC we, in this case, and, and we're pulling out that that truth, you know, and we're you, trying to anyway. Do you uh, so do you find it interesting that uh, one of the things that came out in these tapes that she recorded was she? Oh wait, she who uh, Megan recorded the calls? Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say she? Yeah, I meant he. Oh, okay, he, Alex. Sorry. Okay, Alex, Alex recorded of their conversation. Right. Okay. All right. I just wanted to clarify. Okay. One of the things that came out, though, was that uh, what she, what she kind of did with this with this whole uh, custody thing is she said, if you were a mainstream media figure, they never would have done this to you. They used that to denigrate you. And when I when I saw that happen, I realized there's a bigger story here. She said that to him on the phone. That's Megyn Kelly saying that. Right. Now, that was our bigger point about when Alex Jones was going through a custody battle and it was all over the news about how he said it, part of it was a performance or what did he say? Satire, I right. think is what he yeah, said. something like that. Yeah. And that was all over the news all of a sudden. Um, they're like really worried about Alex Jones when you think about it. It's kind of interesting. But she – so, but like you, it shows you that they, they, they go on the air and they report this shit. Megyn Kelly goes on – back then on her Fox on, – on the air and reports this shit. And she knows in the back of her mind – that the only reason she's doing this is because it's Alex Jones, and if if that was, uh, you know, Pete Williams or uh, Chuck Todd or uh, you know, they wouldn't be covering that story about a about a custody battle, and she used that in her conversation with him. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and I, I think it's all because of you know some of the the a truck a truck Todd a Chuck Todd for example, I don't think would go off on the deep end and, and, and say some outlandish things that are, you know, just out of the Yeah, I know, field, but right? I'm saying put that aside. No, like, I know. But I mean, when you, but he has. She manipulated him with that, though. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. And she, she acknowledges that, it, that, yeah, that she there that is a, but in that, in that state, I guess my point is, until you, okay, this is what I want, this is what I was trying to ask you. She acknowledges in that state that there is a hypocrisy, that if you are at a certain level of the media, then you have some privacy. Right. And if you're at Alex Jones's level, of the media they exploit it that's essentially what she's acknowledging in her statement to him yeah yeah but it's it's not only the level of where you're at where you are but it's also the the content and the things that you've been saying in the kind of way you've been categorized yeah okay yeah you know Mm -hmm. i mean he's been categorized as whoa way out there what the hell so if he hadn't been so cray cray 
that's I I think if he was just kind of just run of the mill, you know, yeah, maybe uh, what's that one guy that was? Uh, but that do we, you okay? You know, so but let, you know what? Let I mean. me flip it. So, yeah. uh, so way out there um, on the left, do you think they would? Do you think if like a, a far left commentator? It has happened. There, there. For example, Keith Overman. I, I know I keep going back to him, but it's just fresh in my head. Keith Overman. He was on ESPN. He had his own show on yeah, okay. MSNBC. And, yeah, and he, there was some like and remember that laundry, controversy yeah. that he got fired, and it's because he he's a bit off. of a hothead, right? And so, and if was, he wasn't such a hothead, right. it probably wouldn't have gotten he's out. He's very, very. He's pegged to the left, right? So it has happened where you know the mainstream media has gone after somebody on the left, an extreme left in those yeah. situations. And, and, and Oberman's a good example because he was an outspoken... Oh, yeah. Of, he, yeah. I mean, he had his uh, top show. Yeah. I mean, he was yeah. doing pretty yeah. well. He made the transition from sports, you know? And so then he... It yeah. was interesting. Now he's doing YouTube. I think that clip is worth listening to to hear how she works him a little bit. Oh, yeah. She's good. Well, you know, we heard in the in the pre-interview questions, you know, she's she's reassuring him you know it's a it's a it's a classic situation where you you try to you know make the interviewee feel comfortable going into what could be a high stress situation yeah and try to oh try to yeah don't worry we're we're going to take care of that we're going to take care of that it's not so bad it's not so bad yeah it's all right you know we you know we're just going to lightly touch on it yeah. i promise you you know it's like those kind of things you'll have your chance to respond yeah, absolutely and we won't leave it on the cutting room floor <laughs> Mr. Chase, yes, Mr. Uh, before we get into the high note, do you, yes. would you like to transition? Because I got a I got a new den for us to read uh, feedback. It, oh, you do. It's pretty fancy. I need well, you to come come down here. Uh, do this. You see that? See the fish tank over there? Fish, fish yeah, tank. Yeah, it's over there. Right there. You see? It? You don't see the? Oh, nice. I like this. This feels good. All right. All right. What do you, so we're now in the new uh, observatory. See right there, we have the uh, captured dolphin. That's right. Of course, over there is uh, Nemo. <laughs> Yeah, you thought he was a fake fish, but uh, we got him here in the Unfiltered Aquarium, uh, where yes. we're going to read your messages. Now, did we open up the sack last we, 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 we First off, we absolutely opened up the sack okay. over at patreon.com slash unfiltered. By the way, more spots are now available in Club 33. Oh, that's right. And, hey, check it out. The old Nancy Sway I know. I'm taking in. this home. I, Isn't I, that cool? Uh, little die cut. You want me to see if yeah, I can- Yeah, let's see if we can get it Activate. Up activate. A- activate. There there it yeah. is. Here's the old Nancy. People can see it right there. Yeah, yeah nice. Uh, can so, you? Hold on. It's yeah. I think I see it. I think I see it. Boom. There you go. Nice. So if you are in Club 33, you would have received an alert from Patreon this morning saying, hey, crack open a cold Dharma beer. <laughs> Dharma? Really? Remember Lost yeah, Dharma? Yeah, I've been thinking yeah. about watching it yeah. sometimes. By the way, don't watch it after season three. Uh, anyway, so I asked you guys, hey, send me your comments, Club 33. And we got a couple of good ones. Uh, first one, Baker the Clerk wrote in and said, hey, I'm sure you guys will weigh in on Amazon's purchase of the Whole Food Oh, brand. you want to do that really quick? I, well, he, I opted not to said. grab a clip. But but he goes, this made me think uh, to back when Amazon built a couple of brick-and-mortar stores without clerks sometime last year. I'm thinking those are a prototype of what we can expect out of the future of Whole Foods and, in turn, retail as an industry. You know, they've, they've been testing the Amazon Go thing in downtown Seattle. Uh, we actually, uh, at the news station, did a story about it. Uh, for me, I think the Whole Foods purchase is a brilliant purchase because now they don't have to worry about building up infrastructure. They already have infrastructure in place. Now they can start tweaking it and messing around with it. Uh, I know that there are a lot of checkers, and I know a few of them, that potentially are feeling a little worried right now because Amazon wants to make that better. Also, I think Amazon was looking at a uh, you know a way to integrate their, their stuff and... Uh, 
also, you know, not everybody buys fresh goods online. They they like to go to a store and squeeze a tomato yeah, and yeah, sniff a sure. banana and things like that. I will echo your statements, and I will add. Um, if I was Walmart, I'd be shitting myself right now. Well, it's 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 coming down to a two horse race. I, I Amazon. I, I'm sorry, Walmart just made a big another big purchase on their own too. So, uh, and Club Thirty Three regular. Thank you very much, Mister Veratunda wrote in and says, hey. I don't know how much you guys have been seeing what's been happening in London of late, but between the terrorist attacks, both radicalized Muslims and the far-right ones, and the Grenfell fire, things have been tense, to say the least. I encourage you to take a deep dive in the Grenfell fire because there's something very rotten here. That's that apartment building that just— Yeah, ugh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause right yeah. here and talk about this for a second. So this, yeah. is a, this is a really, really tricky thing for us because we don't, we don't have a lot of great sources— um, for that stuff, but we, I, I am following it and it's, it's remarkable. Like it's just, it's just fucking crazy. Um, and you might, might also notice that we haven't talked about some of the recent shootings in DC, uh, here. Um, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, it's a really fine line between stories that bend the universe each week a little bit and stories that people expect to hear and stories that are in the conversation that we have something to contribute to. So it's a, it's this really, and so a story has to meet that like this, this axis of evil to be included in the show. And uh, if it, if it falls off of our, of our expertise area or it, it doesn't fundamentally change history for that week, now, I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just saying it's like there's a lot of different things that it has to check, a lot right. of different boxes. And one of those boxes, too, that I didn't mention, so it's really a quadrant of evil, is um, good audio or, or video, right. preferably video. And the thing, the real son of a bitch problem is, is BBC pulls our stuff down. Oh, yeah. They're, <laughs> they're quick. So, like, uh, that's one thing that I can monitor, but I can't really – I sometimes sneak it into the show, but they'll even flag voices from time to time. Um, and I always try to cut off like any like the doon, 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 like the, the music that they have. Yeah. I always try to cut off anything that I think that the Python script will recognize, but they still get me. Uh, so and, there's that difficulty. And as there's well. not to say that if something balloons out of that situation that we wouldn't cover it potentially. Yeah. And we're still I'm watching it. Oh, I've um, watched it too, especially you know the accusations that Theresa May kind of sat on knowing about this building for a while, like she knowingly knew about this. Knowingly knew. No. <laughs> I what I've been also what I'll do a lot of times yeah, is if it's if it's not primary coverage, yeah. I'll include it in the overtime. Mm-hmm. So if you traditionally only catch the main show, consider sticking around for the overtime because a lot of times these stories get incorporated yeah. into the OT. That's true. I turned off the music so that we could take a serious moment, but are yeah. we all done? Is that Yeah, that's it. So remember, if you guys want to be a part we'll of Club 33, and by the way, Swag just went out, the old Nancy stickers, uh, and uh, by the way, I have a feeling, anticipating coming up soon, we might do uh, either a Google Hangout or some sort of YouTube stream oh, for my the Club goodness, 33s. Hmm. So hmm, that's a good idea. we do have some spots available. Head over to patreon.com slash unfilter. Help us reach our goal. Uh, to unlock the next edition, which would be Unfilter Supplemental, which we will add in some extra dashes of Unfilter during the course of the week. Woo-hoo! Now, Chris, I really need to end this week on a high note. <laughs> Let's do it, buddy. Let's do it. Uh, this is a good old-fashioned case of... A camera mounted to the helmet of a Sacramento firefighter captured these images as crews raced to put out a fire at a suspected grow house in the south part of the city last December. 
It's fires like this one and industrial emergencies that has firefighters concerned about the number of applications for marijuana grow operations in the city. So firefighters are concerned about the amount of applications because of a fire similar to that one, right? You tracking? I'm tracking. Whether it be their employees getting sick or their cultivations catching fire, you know, we're talking millions of dollars of possible investment. KCRA 3. He's worried about their investments, obviously, because well, that's nice it's of not them. like if your house burns down or your grow up burns down, it's not, it doesn't cost the fire department. No, money. no, they but just get practice. He's concerned, about, he's concerned about your investment. You know, we're talking millions of dollars of possible investment. KCRA 3 investigates, analyzed the locations of all the marijuana cultivation and manufacturing permit applications submitted to the city this year. And nearly half of them are in the southeastern industrial section of the city. Because obviously because of zoning requirements. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah. Now, see if you can catch what the what the play is here for more funding. See if you because right. you can kind of tell like there's something going on. Well, here. It's like, California. So they're always squirrely. But. An area that used to be served by Station 99 the fire station that was closed years ago. There's no doubt about it that the response times are longer, not just uh, fires, but medical emergencies, industrial accidents. Recently, a city study listed the station as one location that could be reopened to lower response times. So it's really about opening up another it's, fire it, 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 First off, it's about city revenue, Yeah. Uh, which, by the way, Seattle is going through some weird crap right now. But that being said... I would figure with these new businesses coming into town that they that the city would have the additional revenue. But I think the reason why they don't want to open up a fire station is because they don't want to be coined as, oh, we're opening up a new fire station for the cannabis industry. Maybe. You know, and maybe it's a little politically toxic. I imagine what's happening here is when when you see a good thing coming and you see money, you know, you're in government and you see money coming down. You think to yourself, I got to get in on that pot. Yeah. That pot money. I got to get the, I got to get on the pot. Because the, pot the firefighters, money. they know. Right. The fire department knows that the city's getting more revenue. Right. They're a bunch of damn heroes. They deserve it. Absolutely. And you know, it's going to make their response time better. It's going to save lives. I mean, I how mean, do you argue with that? But to be fair, if there's no lives at risk and you have a big marijuana warehouse fire, you know, you get the hook and ladder truck and then they just, Dude, they, no they just kidding, man. They, they're like, uh, uh, they're, they're like, I'm sorry, we couldn't save it. Actually, it's funny. Uh, the but rest I can't drive. This this whole piece is predicated on. So the, really, so far we are halfway into. The, we are actually literally halfway into the clip, and the whole piece so far is predicated on the concept that more grow operations are going to need more fire protection because of past uh, fires. It would be one thing if we were in a recession and there's no money and we're and we're cutting, but this is strictly a neglect towards public safety. Joe Devlin, the city's chief of cannabis policy and enforcement, said legal permitted growing sites shouldn't be any more of a hazard than other industrial operations. So there shouldn't be an increase in risk solely because of cannabis. That's kind of the thing, but that, right? But what happens is you have groups that will spin it and say, well, you know, there wouldn't be an increased fire danger if we'd have all these plants around. Well, then they say, but then it goes even further. They're actually fairly high-tech um, spaces. Uh, the real safety challenges that we have been experiencing are around the folks that are uh, doing this at home with unpermitted work. Which is actually where the fire that they cited earlier in the piece happened at. It didn't what, happen like, at a grow operation. It was a grow room in somebody's apartment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in fact, many of the facilities up for review already have industrial fire systems in place and will have routine inspections, including a fire Because inspection. they're a regulated business. Exactly. Once you're, you take, you're required. Once you take it off the black market and you make it legal, then they're regulated like any other damn yeah, businesses yeah. that has space like yeah. this. 
their security plan is going to be reviewed. Their safety plans are going to be reviewed. They're going to receive a fire inspection and building inspection. So, you know, again, we're going to really make sure that these are safe to operate. Devlin says the real dangers come from the illegal operations they're trying to eliminate. Yeah, exactly. That's... It's so great. It's so great. <laughs> it's fact. Yeah. yeah. Um, this one. Uh, so the, you you have uh, you have some places where I've, I like I think like it's some I think it's like Arizona. I might be wrong. So audience, let me know if I'm wrong. But I think in Arizona, uh, I saw Normal put out a fact on Twitter on Friday. So that's why I think it's you know they seem to know their shit about this. Uh, that it's it's a minimum four months in jail if you're caught with uh, cannabis paraphernalia in Arizona. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Not not to say what happens to you if you're caught with actual pot. Mm. So you go from waterboarding. You go from places where they're still figuring out the benefits of legalizing or places where you could immediately go to jail with minimum sentencing uh, for having a pipe with resin in it to California, where you now have startups that are just driving weed to your house. Pot of gold. San Francisco is a place where things happen. The city by the bay has always been an early adopter. And that's never been more true than now. Startups flourish here. We want to show you one that amazed even us. Doesn't that shot look weird to you? I like the shot. I know. Personally. It's really great. It's a great shot. It's just like... It lo- they, they picked a sleepy neighborhood street. It almost looks fake. It's I just, know. But it's... it's. By the way, CBS... I've One thing... What, 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 no, oh, CBS too. I yeah. agree. Yeah. They both have great production. On yeah. Some very of this good. Stuff. Very good. They have like these long... For, this is... We're not going to play all of it. It's in the supporter sync if you want It's a long This format. is a 10-minute piece. Yeah. For if you live here... You can get marijuana delivered to your door legally in 15 minutes or less. Oh, yeah? No, my father was a milkman. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was all about meeting supply and demand. Don't you need the pot truck? (laughs) You don't have to pick up the empties. (laughs) No, I don't. Meet Eric James, a 21st century delivery man. The smartphone on his dashboard tells him where to go and the fastest route to get there. On the busy days, I will have... Like four people stacked up in, in my queue. Just, Eric you know, is a marijuana it. delivery man, and he uses software from the company Ease. This is a far cry from meeting somebody in an alley or a dark place to a far cry, yes. Exchange money for your dime bag or whatever it was back in the day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> dime bag, isn't that Coke? <laughs> Oh, boy. I love it when he goes all old on it, like he doesn't know. I, I, I can't. I pretend, know. I, What's a dime? Bag? I wouldn't know. I would. I'm just know. bringing a few, you know, whatevers. <laughs> it's good. It's a ten minute. Like I said, it's a ten a minute quarter. piece. It's worth watching. <laughs> and uh, they go into all kinds of aspects of the story. Not all of it's positive either. So if yeah, you want to check it out, fair enough. Supporters sync, which I, if I recall, is uh, it's not the minimum level, but it's one notch up over on that Patreon page. Nice. Don't go anywhere either, because big overtime coming up. Huge. We're going to do a little deep dive on a couple of things, a couple of topics that just didn't fit in the main show, a couple extra bony clips, and a couple of funny clips, too, all coming up in a little bit. But I understand if you just needed your veggies and you got to get out of here, well, we want to leave you with a couple of bits of parting wisdom. Mr. Chase. Yes, Chris. Where can people find you throughout the week? People can uh, you know, see what I'm doing nope. over on Twitter. I'm can't, still... Can't be done. I'm still fighting the Nunes versus Nunes battle. Oh, I still really? Get, I still get a few of them every day. <laughs> Actually, uh, you know... 
you got the verified twi- Twitter account now, so didn't you kind of win? Uh, is, his, his, is his account, is his actual account verified? Uh, Have you checked that? Because if it's it not, is. then you I won. I think it is. Oh. I think it is. Oh. Well, then it's, it's still but you can follow me on the Twitter, at Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. Oh. I'm the real Nunes on mm, Twitter. Yeah. By the way, Chris, where can fo- people follow you? Well, I mean, I don't know if it can be done. I, from what I'm told, it can't be done. But if you want to prove it me can. wrong, try it. I mean, I, I don't know. It can. Uh, then they should prove me wrong. Twitter.com slash Chris L-A-S. I also was told once that the network has a Twitter account. Did you know that? Yeah. I, wow, yeah. I did not know this. Yeah, at Jupiter Signal. Very the nice. show's live. We'd love to have you here in our chat room. We have a dedicated unfiltered chat room. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time. You can participate in the conversation. Thanks again to our patrons. Yes, thank you guys. Love you guys. Thank you so much for supporting us. All right, we'll see you right back here. Next week. Required. It's overtime, brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash Thank you to our patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter. We got a new batch of patrons. Man, and I am so grateful. And if I missed some of you last week, I apologize. It's my fault. I didn't read the whole list. I'm a total noob. I'm new at this. So let me make good on that right now and thank our new patrons. Patreon.com slash unfilter. Thank you to James, Rickat, Rusty, Matthew, Lewis, Jose, Creatively Tech, Mo, James, Z, Nick, Aaron C, Aaron E, Sam, Ranter, Christine, Tanner, Alex, Brandon, end user Craig, and Carl. Our new patrons for episode 241 and 240. Thank you for supporting the show. This is a listener-funded show. We really appreciate it. Makes a big difference. And we're trying to get up to twice a week. We're trying to raise funds. We have goals at patreon.com slash unfilter. More unfilter. Honestly, we could do this show every damn day. In some ways, it would would be an intense amount of work. But it almost make more sense because there's so much to go through every week. So much that we have to leave on the cutting room floor. And I try to pick up some of that right here in the overtime. That's what we do. We go in-depth on new topics. We start up new threads that sometimes work their way into the main show. And we stay on things that don't quite fit with the flow. And sometimes expand on things that didn't fit in the flow. So thank you to our patrons for making this segment possible. I want to start... As always, this overtime, with our own Nancy segment. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi seemed visibly shaken after the shooting and uh, during a Q&A, during her daily press briefing. She pinned the whole damn thing on Republicans. You see, the state of politics is all the Republicans. It's not the Democrats going around yelling Russia, claiming that our president is the Manchurian candidate. 
It wasn't their woefully corrupt candidate, Hillary Clinton, who colluded with the DNC to suppress the people's actual candidate, Bernie Sanders. No, no. No, you see, it's the Republicans. And it really all goes back to the 90s in Nancy Pelosi's world. You know, isn't that funny? It kind of all, all fits, doesn't it? Of course, Nancy Pelosi, it all goes back to the 90s with her. Maybe somebody should tell Nancy that it takes two to tango. Just to follow up on what Erica asked, um, this, uh, this affliction, this, this course in political behavior, do you see this as uh, equally afflicting the left and the right? And no. no, of course not. No. I mean, I just, I just outlined a couple of ways that the left um, are uh, directing the conversation in the political sphere uh, in my introduction of this clip. But uh, Nancy, in her leadership position, uh, she can't see it. I do not. And on whose burden is it to um, address this and change it? Well, I, I th- told you we'll have this conversation another day. She's too upset. She's too upset. She's too emotional. And she can't talk about it right now. But she's going to go ahead and talk about it. Uh, but I think any um, review of the incidences and the – and I, I told you about that, my hacked messages. When I hand them over to the Capitol Police, which I wanted them to hand it over to the Secret Service – I don't know what happened to them, but I do know uh, that they were horrible and completely consistent with the calls that had been made to my home. So Nancy Pelosi got a bunch of, quote unquote, hacked messages. And what these hacked messages were, were uh, a bunch of crap mail, it sounds like. There's a couple of different descriptions of it. I'm not really sure. There hasn't been any great reporting on it. But it sounds like she got a whole bunch of nasty emails, dick pics, threats, things like that. All night, all day. I could never have any of my grandchildren ever answer a phone for the foul language that would be there. And so I'm just talking about my own experience. But... Let's all t- say, let's examine our conscience. Let's see how we can rid ourselves of our negative attitudes that go to a place that is like this. We've had... We've, what is it, Nancy? It didn't used to be this way. Oh. Somewhere in the 90s. Okay. The public has decided on a, a politics of personal destruction as they went after the Clintons, and that is the provenance of it. Maybe that was somewhere when the Democratic Party became a bunch of corporatist Democrats. And that's what has continued. But again, I... I... She's super upset, guys. I feel as, uh, you know, having a family moment that is d- very, very serious. And, and we're talking about things that we can save uh, the discussion for another day. Well, okay. Now. If I ever say something during the O Nancy segment that gets you thinking, I got a little piece of advice for you. You can definitely hit that contact form, but why not join us live? You know, it takes quite a bit of effort to pull this show off live. We we do all this stuff in line. Every clip, everything you hear, every sound effect. It's all produced live. And we do that. So that way, if you can make it, you get a great live experience. And we post the full live show over at patreon.com slash unfilter. There's often way more stuff. I sometimes have some downtime if Chase runs into traffic and I hang out with the chat room and we talk. I want to encourage you to join our chat room. irc.geekshed.net. And then go to pound unfilter. Same server that the Jupiter Broadcasting main chat room is on. So if I ever say something that gets you thinking either in a good way or a bad way, 
you can voice that opinion in a constructive way in the chat room. We have a bunch of people there that like to share different points of view. And at the end of the day, they managed to do a pretty good job of keeping the flames to a minimum and the conversation pretty good. So thank you to everybody who was able to join us live on this Wednesday. We start around 3.30 Pacific time on a Wednesday, typically. And I sit here and I hang out with the chat room. And then we start overtime. Then we have a little bit more time to hang out usually. And then we start the main show. That's a little behind the scenes. And one of the reasons why we developed this show with all of these clips live is so that way you could watch it live in a completely unfiltered experience. Everything's out there. Full transparency. And uh, it would have been easier to create a show where we could just say our bits and then drop all the posts in perfectly edited, all the clips in in post, perfectly edited. But where's the fun in that? Where's the spontaneity in that? So join the conversation, irc.geekshed.net, hashtag Powshine, <laughs> unfiltered. So Nancy's Pelosi's, the Pelosi's of Nancy. Some say after the recent Georgia loss, Georgia, that perhaps Nancy's future is in question. Well, a major victory for Republicans and a crushing defeat for Democrats. Georgia Republican Karen Handel winning the most expensive House race in history by a bigger margin than expected. And the GOP chalking up another victory in South Carolina, raising questions about House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi's Uh-oh. future. Kyle Kondik is a political analyst at the University of Virginia Center for Politics. So what is her future, Nancy Pelosi? Well, I think her future is probably fine for now. But, you know, the record for Democrats in the House uh, since they lost 63 seats in 2010 has really been quite poor. Uh, Since that time, they've only netted one additional seat. Wow. I had no idea. I mean, I, I guess I did, but I didn't until recently have any idea it was that bad. Uh, and have been stuck fairly deeply in the minority. And, you know, when uh, uh, the Democratic House caucus met at the start of the year, they actually had a a vote to see who the leader would be. And a representative, Tim Ryan of Ohio, actually didn't win the leadership, obviously, but got about a third of the vote. And I think there is some grumbling about Pelosi, if only because the electoral record is poor and also because Republicans continue to be able to attack her with a lot of success, I think, in Republican-leaning districts like Georgia 6 decided last night. I mean, it, it, the, the record under Nancy Pelosi is this. Since 2010, 63 seats have been lost for Democrats. And since then, that's a net one seat gain. Yikes. OK, so when I when I the reason why I actually played this clip uh, was, well, the, the numbers are kind of interesting. Um, but I thought it reminded us all why we have the O Nancy segment. I don't have the O Nancy segment to make fun of Nancy Pelosi to make fun. I definitely don't have the Nancy Pelosi segment to make fun of the way she speaks. Uh, I don't have it to make fun of Maxine Waters either. I have it here because I think there is systemic rot in the Democratic Party that is causing them to systemically lose votes. And because of that candidates win by default if they're not a democrat and the democrats have all come to the middle and meanwhile the candidates on the right like trump are far right and bernie was far left people are galvanized people are angry and when they're angry like this they vote the extremes and so when your middle road corporatist bland talking points 
You don't sell in this climate. And Nancy Pelosi is that to a T. So is Chuck Schumer. Adam Schiff is that as well. And among other things. My point is, there is a problem. A problem. There is a rot in the Democratic Party that if they do not resolve, they're going to continue to lose elections. After all of this Russia bullshit, all of this talk, after all of the vitriol after the election, the Democrats still lost. There is a huge problem. In fact, it's not just me that thinks this. Take Michael Bloomberg, who we don't hear from very often, claims to be a Democrat. He's one of these corporatist Democrats. He's maybe the definition of a corporatist Democrat. He thinks Trump's going to Trump's going to win 2020. Where do you see Democrats now? I mean, I think you gave they're being pulled to the left. You saw Hillary being pulled to the left. Do they have a message actually for 2020? Well, I don't know. I, I, I've thought that Hillary never really uh, I think she would have been a decent president. I said when I you talked know, to the DNC that I had many disagreements with her. You know, but for the president, she would have been decent. And that's fine. You know, that's fine. A decent president's good. It's fine. And I'm not here to endorse her. Um, let me just say I didn't vote for Donald Trump, who's a very nice guy, but I didn't think is the right person to be president of the United States for a variety of reasons, which I, I talked about then. But Hillary never got a real message out. And Donald Trump, I always thought one of the reasons he, never, he never got, got a real message beyond don't vote for that guy. It was don't vote for that guy and the gender issue. Whereas Donald had a saying, make America great again. I don't know what again means, but America, that's patriotic and great. That's a good word. Is he? St- um, I'm going to play that again, because you know what? To be honest, if, if that sounds a little, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but it sounds patronizing. Whereas Donald had a saying, make America great again. I don't know what again means, but America, that's patriotic and great. That's a good word. And I thought it's, it's not quite that simple, but we do live in a world of 140 characters and slogans matter. And it just you don't think that that's what your decision is based on, but it predisposes you to really want to do something. And I never understood, given most of the media is Democratic, why they, Hillary couldn't find somebody to give her a good tagline. That's what she should have done, I always thought. I think recently you gave the chance that Donald Trump would be, that President Trump would be reelected uh, 55%. Yeah, sure, because, do you think still about that? well, the incumbent always has an advantage. It depends what the world is like in three and a half years. If the economy is good, he can't, he had roughly 50% of the public vote, little less, in the right place. So he got elected because of the Electoral College, but he had let roughly half the people wanted him to be president. All right, stop right here. This is actually an analysis that it clicks. And now I understand why Trump's already spending on his reelection campaign. What he's about to say really clicks for me. So he makes the point. So he basically won about 50% of the vote. I mean, he got in because of the Electoral College, but he basically wins about 50% of the vote. And if it turns out that he's okay, not even great. Not even good. Not even fair. <laughs> I guess okay and fair, that's about the same. It's, 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 if he's fair, if he does an average job. Some of the half that voted against him because they thought he'd be a disaster probably wouldn't think that anymore, so that would help him. Incumbents always have an advantage. And the Democratic Party is going to be torn apart by the left and the centralists. That is a spooky, accurate prediction, I think. It makes so much... Like, Trump... Trump has so much momentum as being the incumbent, then if he just holds his original base, which I think so far he mostly has, and just wins over a few more of the doubters, 
And you got to figure, too, by 2020, this entire Russia stuff could be a memory at that point. Um, he, I mean, do you follow this? Like, to me, this seems like this could be astute. Wanted him to be president. And if it turns out that he's okay, some of the half that voted against him because they thought he'd be a disaster probably wouldn't think that anymore. So that would help him. Incumbents always have an advantage. And the Democratic Party is going to be torn apart by the left and the centralists. Now, the Republican Party is also being torn apart. Between- when he says left and centralists, by the way, I think because it's so because he's speaking in such high level billionaire like, uh, you know, this is just obviously how the world works. You know, you me- you media types know this because this is obvious here in the establishment. We're up in my nice throne. He's saying that the left and the centralists Well, the left would be Bernie Sanders. Maybe Elizabeth Warren, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> but, you know, th- those type of candidates. And there, there are others. Maybe Franken's somewhere in that spectrum over there. But, there, you know, so there's a whole list of people, really. You have those folks. And then you have your centrists, like your Pelosi's, your Schumer's, your Schiff's, et cetera, et cetera, on and on. I, I don't I, – I hate it when I sit here and rattle off na- the same names all the time. But I feel like i got to give you some examples. They are going to be at conflict just inherently with their belief systems within the Democratic Party. And so the right kind of has their shit more aligned, especially if they're just going to get in behind the incumbent. There's not a lot to argue about there. Because they thought he'd be a disaster, probably wouldn't think that anymore. So that would help him. Incumbents always have an advantage. And the Democratic Party is going to be torn apart by the left and the centralists. Now, the Republican Party is also being torn apart between the centralists and the hard right. But they've rented a candidate. The candidate has rented a party. And they will probably, without much of a fuss, get behind Donald Trump, I would assume, assuming he runs for re Assuming he runs for re-election, I cut a little tight there. Um, the candidate has rented a party and the party has rented a candidate. I really like the way he talks sometimes. I don't know. It's weird, though. Also, it's sort of weird. He talks about how uh, he talks about how the uh, d- the the media is democratic and that he, all they needed to do to help. Here's what he says. He says Hillary lost the election in part because of Comey, but also because the media never gave her a good slogan. She didn't come up with a message. Trump had that right. Like you said, Trump had make America great again. But Hillary, what do you say? Hillary didn't have a message. He other than uh, Cooper, uh, he, he volunteered in there. He says, well, uh, except for don't vote for the other guy. Uh, yeah. OK, great. Great. Good job, Anderson. Good job you've been listening but he's right why didn't the media just hand her a slogan they gave her everything else why didn't they give her a slogan (laughs) it just boggles the mind like that would have made a big difference if she had a message that she stood for um and i think the key problem now through all of this to get to get away from the election because i'm just sick of talking about stop talking about hillary for a second let's talk about the big problem right now if there's one big thing, it's Russia, right? There's multiple investigations. James Comey's been fired. Special Prosecutor Mueller may be fired. The Assistant Attorney General, Latuna, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. All this stuff is going on. I mean, it's just this massive clusterfuck right now of Russia. And it's something that I, I haven't said for weeks, but this clip gives me the opportunity to get back up on this old soapbox and dust it off and say this. We've got to stop talking about Russia, okay? There is way more important stuff going on. Way more important stuff going on. Like, you want one? How about healthcare? Let's talk about healthcare. But no, it's all Russia, Russia, Russia. All right, let's talk about the Middle East. Let's talk about Syria. Nope, leave that to RT. We've got to talk about Russia. Okay, all right. Well, can we talk about infrastructure? No, what, Russia? Oh, okay. Georgia right. and places across the south and the 
Midwest. It's kind of reflective of the conversation we had after the presidential election back in November, which is that the progressive wing of the Democratic Party said we need to be more progressive. And we heard that last night and again this morning from groups like MoveOn.org. The lesson was that John Ossoff was too moderate. Do you think running for office right now in this climate as a Democrat means you ought to be more progressive or more moderate? I, I think what it means is the Democrats have to be hyper-focused on an economic message that tells people that the Republican Party is all about economic growth for millionaires and billionaires. And this the Democratic Party is about economic growth for everybody. This, if the Democrats get back to that message and they speak on it with, uni- with unity and whatever candidate best represents that message, they could have a couple of home runs, but they're not doing it. And it's their home field advantage. Was too moderate. Do you think running for office right now in this climate as a Democrat means you ought to be more progressive or more moderate? I I, I think what it means is the Democrats have to be hyper-focused on an economic message. This is Senator Chris Murphy, by the way. That tells people that the Republican Party is all about economic growth for millionaires and billionaires, and the Democratic Party is about economic growth for everybody. And I think Robert Costa is right. Uh, the fact that we have spent so much time talking about Russia um, has, uh, you know, has been a distraction from what should be the clear contrast between Democrats and the Trump agenda, which is on economics. Or climate or health. You know, when I'm back in Connecticut... I- I often get on a commuter bus and ride it for just an hour Ugh. to talk to folks that, you know, frankly don't normally call my office or write my office. Ugh. And I'll just say they are never talking about um, <laughs> issues like yeah, yeah. Russia. They yeah. are not talking, frankly, about what's on cable news at night. They are talking about the same things. Wages. They're talking about education. They're talking about public safety. Senator Murphy, he's got it. Like Admiral Murphy. It is a slam dunk if you say, if you stay on point. And there's a core problem. If you ask the corporatist leftist rotten Democrats, I'm sorry, not leftist, the corporatist centralist rotten Democrats, who's the leader, they're going to they're going to dance around. They're going to say maybe Nancy, maybe Hillary, maybe Obama. And they just kind of it's kind of cute. We've played the clips before. They kick it around. Uh, if you ask the people like in polls, like if you ask the people who would be voting, they say Bernie Sanders still. I didn't know if that was true. In fact, I wasn't sure if Bernie was still polling as much weight as he did during the election. So I did some digging around to kind of see what sort of influence or uh, popularity is not the right word. Like it's power. It is essentially political power. That's really what it is. What, how much political power has Bernie Sanders retained now that he's an independent, now that the election's a memory? How much political power does he retain? And is the party recognizing it? Everybody was down in Arizona trying to figure out who the leader of the Democratic Party would be moving forward. And that leader was actually in Michigan giving a speech, and his name is Bernie Sanders. The Democratic Party is failing. I think it is time for the Democratic Party to reassess uh, what it stands for and where it wants to go. The soul of the Democratic Party was lost. That Trump didn't win the election. The Democratic Party lost the election. In my view... It is not a question of Trump having won the election. It's a question of Democrats having lost the election. Now, the truth is, Democrats should not be losing to a candidate who insults so many people. The Democratic Party must finally understand which side it is on. That Trump didn't win the election. The Democratic Party lost the election. 
Well, right now I was elected for this term as an independent. I'm completing my term and I certainly will stay as an independent completing this term. We'll cross the next bridge when we come to it. Do you consider yourself a Democrat? No. No, no. I wonder if he could run as an independent now that he tried it once as a Democrat. You know, traditionally that's not going to work, but maybe now? What do you think? Leave a comment. Tell me in the chat room. Could he run as an independent legitimately? And I'm seriously asking this. I mean, we've watched it now for uh, two election cycles in the Unfilter show. You had Jill Stein. You had Gary. I mean, there's lots of people who try to run, but they don't even make it to the debates. Remember how close Gary got? Didn't even make it to the debates, though. So, if Bernie Sanders ran as a third-party candidate, would he, would he even have a snowball's chance? And imagine, if he did, the political latitude he would have, the runway he would have not being a Democrat. Jerem says it's possible but unlikely. Uh, here, I got a clip. Let's shift gears. Uh, if you're listening after the fact, leave a comment. Let me know. Uh, this next one's just kind of interesting. It's a pickup from last week. I didn't, I didn't play McCain's questions in the session's testimony. But uh, it's fun. It's good. And apparently, Russians are getting lost in the flyover states trying to map our cellular networks, according to John McCain. I don't believe so. Politico recently reported that in the middle of the 2016... Politico. Senator John McCain, quoting Politico, everybody. ...16 elections, the FBI found that Russian diplomats whose travel the State Department was supposed to track had gone missing. Some turned up wandering around the desert or driving around Kansas. <laughs> Reportedly, intelligence sources conclude that after about a year of inattention, these movements indicate, one, that USS... Moscow's espionage ground game has grown stronger, more brazen. Yeah, they're getting lost, but it's, it's strong and brazen. And that quietly the Kremlin has been trying to map the United States telecommunications infrastructure. That's, you know, code for Putin. That's a fascinating story and something I've noticed now in watching uh, Jez testimony, Jez, Jez Joseph's testimony, watching uh, Sessions' testimony, watching Kami's testimony, watching the intelligence uh, guys, uh, where they did it kind of as a panel testimony. Um, every single little stupid rumor that the Washington Post has had to correct or that the New York Times has ran with has been asked. It's been, it's been fodder for questions. Let's expand on that White House press briefing topic here for a moment. It's let's. I got a little series of clips for you. It starts with this CNN reporter who's a little miffed, a little miffed. Jim, I just saw your tweet. You said you're feeling like the, the White House is stonewalling you. Yeah, uh, Brooke, I wish we had some video or some audio from this briefing to share with you. But oh, man, it starts right there, guys. But the White House mandated that we are not allowed to cover the White House press secretary for the United States of America in that fashion. And now, uh, <laughs> I love 
it. I love it. And look at Brooke's face. So let's start here. They're not required to do uh, White House press briefings daily. In fact, it's not even necessarily a super common practice, although I think it's a good idea. Uh, I just I love her face. I love all of the subtext. Like you could cut this with a knife. It's thick. It's thick. I mean, you could you could, <laughs> you could just cut it up and eat it in chunks. Uh, Brooke, I wish we had some video or some audio from this briefing. To That's dig one. Share with you, but the White House mandated that we are not allowed to cover. That's dig two. The White House press secretary for the United States of America. That's dig three. Uh, in that fashion. And so, yes, when we're asking important questions about where are the tapes, does the president have recordings of his conversations here at the White House? We're asking important questions, you know, like the same ones we've asked them literally 500 times. And they've said the same thing 500 times. The White House is refusing to answer those questions. Just like they always have, just like every administration does. On camera or in any kind of fashion where we can record the audio. My guess is because they want their uh, evasive answers uh, not saved for posterity. Uh, That is the only conclusion one could draw. uh, That when they give us answers, uh, that it, it somehow reads better in print then it, it can be seen on television or heard over the radio. Actually, I wonder what's going on here, I bet. I wonder if this isn't just a middle finger to these sons of bitches, and, uh, because they're more than happy to give quotes and interviews to Fox News, so this isn't really going to impact Fox. But it's really going to screw the 24-hour cable news. In fact, it's not really going to impact uh, your nightly news or your CBS morning newses. They don't, they don't often do a lot of these press uh, briefings. But uh, the reality is these press briefings are huge ratings draws. And you can see it all over YouTube when, when Spicer goes live. CNN, if they don't have anything else, anything else going on, they immediately just cut to this. And then they come back and they pick every little single thing apart. Uh, <laughs> they are... They are creating the very problem that the White House is now seeking out to fix. The White House was hoping to change the subject today from the lingering cloud of the Russia investigation. Good afternoon. But during his first televised briefing in eight days, Press Secretary Sean Spicer said he didn't know whether the president believed Russia meddled in the 2016 election, something Republicans, Democrats, and the entire U.S. intelligence community all agree on. Just very plainly, uh, a yes or no answer. Does President you see how they you see how they couch it there? They set it up with well, here's something that all of the intelligence agencies agree on. That's actually not true. Only three intelligence agencies signed on to what was called an assessment. An assessment, you understand, is not the same thing as finding. It is not the same thing as an accusation. It is not the same thing as evidence. Assessment, assessment, and it was three agencies: the NSA, the CIA, and the DHS. Well, the DHS. DHS. The DHS was created under the Bush administration to go install body scanners and airports and put the TSA in place. And now, because it's Homeland Security, they're trying to get in on cyber. They're trying to get in on the game because that's where the money is at. So just write the DHS off because it's completely a political organization with no expertise that is simply trying to get more funding so that way they can protect the fucking homeland. It's a bullshit agency. So write DHS off. Well, the CIA, let's go there for a minute. The CIA has been bad Donald Trump since the moment he got into the office and before then. The CIA wanted Hillary Clinton. Your good friend went on CBS and he sat there. 
CBS contributor in security analysis, sat there and he told the world that Hillary Clinton was the best candidate for security. Hillary Clinton was the best candidate for going after Assad. Hillary Clinton had the best plan and that Donald Trump would be dangerous. And then once the Russia allegations came up, of course, he, he was right back on CBS again. These things are concerning, Charlie. These things are concerning, Charlie. The, the entire CIA responded after the election in leaks, in selective information to Donald Trump. The, the, the CIA, for whatever reason, and I would imagine it's because they want the candidate that's going to continue the, the programs that they're involved in. I mean, the situation in Syria is really a CIA operation. The people there that are assisting the rebels, quote-unquote, those are CIA operatives. The drone program run by the CIA, well, uh, in Syria, and Iraq, and Libya, in, in all of the Yemen, all of these areas that we have some, uh, some amount of military operation going on, the drone program plays a key role in that. Well, the CIA is still running that aspect of it. it it's not run by the Pentagon. It's supposed to be. There was there was an attempt to make it happen. In fact, there was there was quite a bit of discussion about it. And there was even the announcement by the Pentagon that they'd be taking it on. And then the transfer never actually occurred. It's still run by the CIA. More wars means more funding for the CIA. And Hillary Clinton was the war candidate. Now, now we're actually in office and Donald Trump has pivoted on many of these things. He's really following the establishment line on anything that comes with military intervention, which I always assumed he would. He didn't care. It was never his, that was never his thing. He didn't care. The CIA, after that, <clears throat> after he made these pivots on NATO, after he dropped uh, bombs on the, 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 the Moab on Afghanistan, after he launched the missiles at the Syria uh, airbase, a lot of the CIA's war against Donald Trump sort of turned down. We still have leaks, but it slowed down. It definitely went from an 11 to like an 8. So the CIA saying that Russia was involved in trying to hack the election is almost an incredible source to begin with. But I would – I OK. So they're on there. They're pretty confident that the Russia, Russia was involved in trying to get involved in the election. Seems like, of course, they were. So you got the DHS. You got the CIA. And then you have the NSA on this report. Well, the NSA – the NSA wouldn't say high confidence. So the NSA is on the report, but they're not even signing off on it. So it's really only two intelligence agencies. Now, you'll hear 17 – that's the number from the Clinton campaign, and it just gets repeated all the time. Seventeen intelligence agencies agree that Russia tried to hack the election, and, and that implied is that Russia hacked the DNC, when in reality it's, it's, got, it's, it's more like probably things at the state level. It's trying to it's, – it's more, it's more benign. It's not like some sophisticated information warfare campaign coordinated by Donald Trump, WikiLeaks, and Vladimir Putin. That is a fucking ridiculous conspiracy theory. It's, ridic- it's a ridiculous tinfoil hat conspiracy theory, and it's propped up by this 17 intelligence agencies say that Russia did this. It's actually three, and only two of them are confident on a quote-unquote assessment. So when they start this piece with throwing that in his face, you know it's a biased report immediately. So the White House wants to cut back on press events because CNN and all of the other networks take these press events, cut them up, and then use them to promote, to promote messages that are complete shit. And it starts at the very beginning of this clip. This very clip underscores why the White House wants to cut out press briefings. 
The White House was hoping to change the subject today from the lingering cloud of the Russia investigation. Good afternoon. But during his first televised briefing in eight days, Press Secretary Sean Spicer said he didn't know whether the president believed Russia meddled in the 2016 election. See, they won't let it up. And they're sick and tired of it. You can only answer the same thing and just fuel the news cycle so many times before you're going to just stop. And here they are doing it when there's nothing. There's literally nothing new. Nothing new has developed this week. And they're still milking this cow. And at, so, at, what, at some point, they're going to have to turn off the milk. President believed Russia meddled in the 2016 election, something Republicans, Democrats, and the entire U.S. intelligence community all agree on. Just very plainly, uh, a yes or no answer. Does President Trump believe that the Russian government interfered in the 2016 elections? So here, after eight days of no press briefing, this is the shit questions. This is the shit that you ask after eight days. Nothing else has come up. Nothing else? Really? What about all the stuff going on with health care? Why don't you ask? It's so frustrating. And if I was Sean Spicer and Donald Trump, I wouldn't want to have these bullshit press conferences anymore either. It's it's so unproductive. On Just very plainly, uh, a yes or no answer. Does President Trump believe that the Russian government interfered in the 2016 elections? I, I think I have not sat down and talked to him about that specific thing. Obviously, we've been dealing with a lot of other issues today. I'd be glad to touch base. And they've been grilling him now for two days. At one day, I guess by tomorrow, by the time you're hearing this, it'll be two days. Again, Spicer gave the same answer. I have not sat down and asked him about a specific reaction to him, so I'd be glad to touch base and get back to you. Yeah. The president's reluctance to acknowledge Russian interference in the election has confounded his allies and armed his critics. You see how now they have made a story from nothing? You see, there was no, there's been no development here. Nothing has happened. There's no new position of the Trump administration. There's not even a tweet, not even a damn tweet. All that has happened is that some piece of shit, slick back reporter, asked Sean Spicer once again about something that they never get an answer to. And now they're using that to conflate the rest of this piece. To acknowledge Russian interference in the election has confounded his allies and armed his critics. I wouldn't hold a press conference either. And so what they're doing instead, uh, remarkably, is they're still holding press conferences. They're just saying no cameras, no audio. And... The media knows why. It's because they do this. This is where they get their source material from for their reality television show that they've got everybody hooked on. It's also helped fuel the investigation on Capitol Hill and by a special counsel. Meeting with the president of Ukraine in the Oval Office today, Mr. Trump had strong words for North Korea about the death of Otto Warmbier, the University of Virginia student who died Monday. Now, this arguably should be what the press conference was about. This should be what the takeaway is from the entire press conference and what the new material is, not for any patriotic reason, not for any propaganda reason, but simply because this is literally the new development out of the White House today. He'd been in a coma after 17 months in North Korean captivity. It's a total disgrace what happened to Otto. That should never, ever be allowed to happen. Mr. Trump implied President Obama was to blame since Warnbier had been detained since January 2016. Frankly, if he were brought home sooner, I think the result would have been a lot different. He should have been brought home that same day. The result would have been a lot different. But what happened to Otto is a disgrace. And I spoke with his family. His family is incredible, what they've gone through. But he should have been brought home a long time ago. 
A former national security aide to President Obama said at least 10 Americans were released from North Korean custody during the last administration. It's painful that Mr. Warmbier was not among them, but our efforts on his behalf never ceased, even in the waning days of the administration, spokesman Ned Price said. As the White House tries to jumpstart its agenda, a new CBS News poll finds the president's approval rating has fallen five points from two months ago to 36 percent, a record low. 57 percent now disapprove of his presidency. The president gets his lowest marks on his handling of the Russia investigation. Just 28 percent approve, while 63 percent say they do not. The biggest Republican priority, repealing and replacing Obamacare, is still under wraps in the Senate. After once championing the House version of the bill, the president lately has been describing it as heartless and mean. The president clearly wants a bill that has heart in it. Senate Democrats are seizing on the president's criticism. <laughs> Got heart. He wants heart. Yeah, he wants one that's not going to burn him up politically is what he wants. That's what he wants. Let's not kid ourselves, ladies and gentlemen. Let's not. Let's not. <laughs> Come on, one. Come on, I got to hear that again. That was that was good. That was he wants one that has heart in it. Has heart in it. <laughs> mean. The president clearly wants a bill that has heart in it. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. You know, spicy. I'll give you credit. You, you tried hard. So Hellinger in the chat room. Oh, it just went off the screen. Damn it. Hellinger in the chat room asks me, he says, uh, okay, Chris Lass, so what intelligence organization's assessment, quote-unquote, uh, would it take for you to believe, if not the three largest, most powerful intelligence organizations in the free world? Oh, I always I always love the free world one. Um, well, I think so. I think I'd start with uh, the difference between findings and an assessment. An assessment is not the same thing. But uh, to more directly answer what you're really asking me, though, uh, if the NSA was pretty strong on it, I, I would be, I would be, uh, I guess I would give that some weight. But I tell you what would really do it for me, to be completely, completely clear, is uh, publish, publish findings with, you know, redact as you must, as they always do, that, uh, the, that are believable. So the reports, I've read all of them. I've read I've read the I've read the report. The reason why I can tell you that only three agencies signed off on it is because I literally read it and I it's right there. It's it's right there in the first couple of pages. It's it's not they don't hide that fact. It's just not how it's reported. If you read the report, it's right there. Who signs off on it? And the NSA isn't even confident in the report. It's right there. Uh, And so when you read that report. It's kind of sad in a way because, you know. You want to feel like you can have faith in your government. You want to feel like you can be safe in, and that your country is powerful and, and that your government is believable. And that you know, you, you, it's, it's, so it's sort of a, it's a hard fucking thing to read, especially if you've ever worked in IT or uh, especially if you've worked in the security area of IT. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's weak, man. It's really weak sauce. There's nothing, there's nothing solid in there. In fact, they, they dance around most of the issue the entire time. Um, and so you look at that and you go, fuck. This is, fuck, this is what all this is based on? Oh, shit. I mean, it's not a good feeling. So uh, I tell you, I'd, I'd, I'd happily read a really solid report by, say, like the NSA, because this is their area technology and the network is what the NSA does crypto and all of that is their domain so uh, you know something that the NSA was highly confident on 
that had details and it doesn't have to be IP addresses and names, it, but it just needs to be, it needs to be like, they, they, you see, the problem is, is they, they make fundamental technical errors in this document. It's like newbie stuff. Uh, in their technical reports about the attackers, they mix up like executables and URLs and PDFs and binary file. Like they really fuck shit up in this report. And it's 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 it, it, it leaves you feeling like oh fuck these guys are just really grasping at straws here. Um, so a report that was technically accurate that detailed to some degree what had happened and a timeline of events that line up with everything that has been reported on would really be what it would take for me to be like okay that makes sense because when I'm really at the end of the day the two things that I come keep coming back to is I've read the reports. And I followed all of the reporting from from get go from from the very beginning. So it's not so. So the DHS uh, is so. Going back to your question, the DHS I definitely give the least credibility of pretty much any institution. Period in the government. I'm sure that's there's probably you could probably point out a few that have less credibility, but I really have little respect for the DHS. I particularly particularly have little respect for Jeff Johnson. I really have no respect for him. I think he was totally a political play at just an awful head of home department homeland security i i really have no respect for bush jr who created the dhs in my opinion as a jobs program to start the tsa which has been a colossal failure failure that we just continue to invest money into so the dhs is truly what i like the fact that we're, we're relying on their reporting uh i think shows you how far they are willing to stretch to take anyone's endorsement and I think that sort of speaks volumes about where they're at. I have a clip that I, I, we're going to move on. It's too long. I can't play. I wanted to. It's Rachel Meadow. It's called It's in the Overtime Sink. Or maybe you can look it up on YouTube. Maybe I'll encourage you to do that, too. I, actually, I think I'll put it in the show notes, too. Robert Robert Mueller. Uh, so uh, Robert Mueller, he he uh, he's sort of been in, he's been assembling this team. And Rachel Meadow does this whole breakdown of uh, who the different team members are. Oh, shit, fuck. I'm just going to play a little bit of it. On May 17th this year, at 7.04 p.m., Robert Mueller confirmed that he had been named to be special counsel in the Trump-Russia investigation. That was confirmed 7.04 p.m. All right, so it is a long four-minute clip, and if you have a hard time listening to Rachel Maddow, I, I totally acknowledge that that's a long time to ask you to listen, but it is in the supporters' sync if you want to get it, or go on YouTube and search uh, Robert Mueller team paints picture of Donald Trump Russia investigation. Robert Mueller, Robert Mueller team paints picture of Donald Trump Russia investigation. You or, and I'll have I'll try to have it linked in the show notes too if I remember. Uh, and it she goes through all the people in the team about how they've been former mob investigators. Some of them have been for, former finance investigators. Some of them have been former Russia uh, propaganda investigators. And uh, she's very pleased with this team. She's, she is very happy about this. Censorship. So if you're thinking about the team here, Watergate, mob, money laundering, criminal law, fluency in Russian. Any sense of what Mueller might be working on here? She's very happy about this, and uh, I just I'm putting this in here uh, just as a uh, as a note in the record because uh, this team and this investigation is fully Rachel Maddow approved. 
I just think that's worth noting. Uh, we'll see where it goes. But we'll just remember that, that uh, she was on board with all of it. There's some other stories that we should cover, but Mr. Chase is getting close, so my, my time on the overtime is running out. Let's uh, let's uh, let's see. Well, if I had to pick, this is interesting. Going back to sort of the big story, quote unquote, the one that we like to get distracted by, Russia. There's been some f- some movement on sanctions, uh, and it's interesting the way these sanctions are being positioned because they specifically do not allow the executive branch to override the sanctions. So it's like locked in sanctions on Russia. Plans for new U.S. sanctions to be levied against Russia have been met with anger in Germany, as officials say they're intended to hinder a joint Moscow-Europe gas pipeline. Covering that, then, for us, RT's Jacqueline Vuga. Berlin has joined the wave of criticism over a new U.S. anti-Russia sanctions bill that would involve fines on European companies contributing to joint projects. I regret that the joint approach of Europe and the United States and Russia and sanctions has been undermined and abandoned in this way. Oh! That must not happen. We generally reject sanctions with extraterritorial effects, meaning an impact on third countries. On Thursday, the Senate overwhelmingly approved a bill to expand sanctions targeting Russian industries. But it turns out those measures could end up penalizing European companies. The move has infuriated a number of high-ranking politicians. We cannot accept the U.S. threat to impose sanctions that violate international law and affect European companies involved in the expansion of Europe's energy supply. Europe's energy supply is a matter for Europe and not the United States of America. (laughs) It's up to us to decide who supplies us with energy and how. I don't think you understand how this program works, actually. Somebody should probably educate him. Um, I got a couple of things in Syria I wanted to follow up on. Uh, So this was the news coverage before all of this, like shooting down a Syrian warplane. There was another incident, the Iran drone incident. The Pentagon has been very close-mouthed about this for some obvious reasons. They're trying to work it out with the Russians, and they don't want to reveal whether they are even able to work it out with the Russians. None of this very clear at the moment. Oh. What we know oh. is on a working level, Russian... Mil- Stop right here. Um... She really doesn't actually have much to say. She's going to say on a working level, uh, Russian mil- military leadership and U.S. military leadership are privately communicating. And that's all she knows. But what is interesting about this shot, if you're not watching the video version, you got Barbara Starr and she is in her little room that they've given her at the Pentagon. She literally works every day. Barbara Starr drives to the Pentagon and works at the Pentagon and then reports back to CNN when there's something to tell. And she's got a camera in there and a screen behind her. And they have overlaid above her lower third on the right-hand side of the screen, soon on CNN, and it's a live stream of the White House press briefing room, zoomed out. So you can see all the chairs and the entire press pool, and you can see, you can see Spicy Sean's podium, and you can see the LCD screens behind him. Like, they have that so you can constantly see what the fuck's going on in that room every damn second, because God forbid you don't have a live stream. And you know what the problem is? And I shit you not, the problem is they're losing ratings to YouTube because people are switching over to watch that. <laughs> it's, a, it's unbelievable that they now, they're live streaming the, the room, like, 
an hour before Spicy even gets there because, see, Spicy just kind of walks in. He's supposed to get there around a certain time, but he doesn't always get there at the same time. And while they're hanging out, they're sitting there taking selfies. The media is talking on – they're doing reports. You'll see different – nothing yet. Uh, that's right, Jen. We're still waiting for Sean Spicer uh, for the White House to respond to these burning questions about Donald Trump's commitment to climate change. And we'll be asking Sean Spicer that when he gets here, and we'll get right back at you when we learn more. Back to you. And then they just do that over and over again in that room until Sean Spicer shows up. I shit you not, because I watch it all the time for this show, because I'm, you know, going to grab clips. And one of the son of a bitches watching the live stream. And because I got the same thing, I got to get it for my show, right? So I'm sitting there working it just like everybody else is. And you see these guys in there taking selfies, doing these stupid spots until Sean gets in there and they all get in their seats. And then CNN goes full stream. They go boom up on all screens. It's a weird, weird, weird thing because this never happened under the Obama administration. You'd have Ernest up there talking out of his butt. In fact, one of the only places – think about it. Think about it when, when we covered this show, when, when President Obama was in office. One of the only places that you saw Josh Ernest was on this show. You didn't see clips of Josh Ernest on CNN or CBS Morning News or NBC or on MSNBC. You didn't see you didn't see that. It they didn't air this stuff. We were the only guys in RT. <laughs> and if you had, you know, like those types of outlets and, and 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 YouTubers and no agenda, like these type this that that layer of the media was airing Josh Ernest but not not CNN. Not Fox News, not MSNBC. They, it, is a, it is a total shit show now. And so much, too, where they have a damn countdown and a live stream. It's really it's, – it's, it's amazing. And so even when it's about, when it's about something as, as, as important as the U.S. shooting down a drone from Iran, they have a box over a Barbara Star and all of the other coverage of that stupid room where Sean Spicer is going to walk into. They're obsessed with it. And – now we're getting so aggressive in that area that we have a real fucking bad situation developing. Russia's defense ministry says it's halted cooperation with the U.S. military in Syria. The move comes in response to the downing of a Syrian fighter jet by an American warplane near the ISIL-held city of Raqqa. Our correspondent, Emily Sue has the details. Now, one thing is when diplomats engage in a war of words, but today's development shows that it's gone far beyond that, with Russia deciding to end the single most important agreement that the U.S. and Russia has signed since Moscow was invited by the Assad regime to join the fight in Syria. Now, this agreement we're talking about here it was signed back in October 2015, and what it does is it establishes a communication channel between U.S. and Russia forces operating in the airspace over Syria to prevent any sort of unwanted incidents. Now, as you can imagine, this airspace is very dense with so many different countries, so many different groups involved, and any sort of mistake and misinformation really can lead to unthinkable consequences. And in this case of the Syrian jet being shot down, well, according to the Russian military, the U.S. has not informed Russia of the decision to shoot down the Syrian jet through the existing communication channel. And at the same time, Russian jets was also operating in the area. And as a result of this incident, Russia has decided to halt all cooperation with the U.S. military in Syria. And this sort of military information blackout can potentially be a disaster waiting to happen. Here's why. Any aircraft belonging to the U.S.-led coalition, detected in the skies west of the Euphrates River, where the Russian Air Force is operating, will be tracked as targets by Russian air defense systems.
Now, on the Pentagon's part, they've insisted shooting down the Syrian jet was an act of self-defense. They say the Syrian jet were dropping bombs uh, on SDF, the Syrian Democratic Forces positions near Raqqa. Uh, Syria says no. They say that the Syrian jet were targeting ISIL targets near Raqqa. Raqqa is, of course, the capital of Islamic State's self-proclaimed caliphate. And Russia has described this as an act of aggression. They've described this as a violation of not only of Syria's sovereignty, but also of international law. Uh, Russia Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. He's also commented on this before the statement was released by the Russian military. We call on the United States and all others who have their forces or advisors on the ground in Syria to ensure the coordination of our work. Zones of de-escalation are one of the possible options to move forward jointly. Zones of de-escalation. Hmm. Uh, hmm. All right, how about a little good news? If we keep screwing things up here, sounds like we got 10 new chances. NASA found 10 more planets that could have life. The Kepler spacecraft detected 219 new exoplanet candidates, including the 10 near-Earth-sized planets in the so-called Goldilocks zone. Now, exoplanets orbit a star other than the sun. And scientists say for the first time there is at least one planet that almost matches the Earth. The rock is only 30% wider and has an orbit of almost exactly one year. Hmm, so there's always the plan B. And last but not least, it may be a little crazy out there. Politics may be more brutal than ever, but it would seem even in austerity and isolation, in historic times, love can still blossom. And Pete, I know you, why don't you read this one, Pete? This this is your jam. Hand it over to me. (laughs) Another love letter from Pamela Anderson to uh, trader Julian Assange, the Bay Witch, uh, the Bay Witch, Bay Witch, star titling the letter, Why My Heart Stands with Julian, the Bay Watch star writes, thinking of Julian makes me wonder, what is the sexist, (laughs) sexiest quality in a man? Surely the sexiest qualities are in a man are bravery and courage. And Anderson calls on world leaders to petition for WikiLeaks founders' immediate release from the Ecuadorian embassy in London before bashing, uh, lashing out at British Prime Minister Theresa May for her handling of the Grenfell fire. <laughs> she then invites French President Emmanuel Macron to the meeting to discuss Julian's situation. How drunk was that guy? You got to play that back. Listen to that. That guy couldn't get a single word out right. <laughs> it's probably not booze. It's probably something else known Fox News. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'll see you back here. Thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter. Thanks to our chat room for making the time to carve it out and be here live. We really appreciate that as well. See you right back here next week. Thanks, guys. Eat more pizza. <laughs>